0: The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows codes and shrink for 3% off all other codes. And then it is also brought to you by thehenma.com. Use Moore's Law for 10% off your first order of coffee. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. You know, recently it's been pretty, pretty heavy with the console coverage. And as I said in, I guess, yeah, my last video since that came out right before this podcast came out the one about Xbox and PlayStation. Is there's a new AMP, there's a new, you know, AMP, whether it's Ampere or RDNA, there's a new graphics card release uh, architecture, like every one to two years, but really there's only a new console gen every four to six. So for those curious why. A podcast so heavy on PC coverage, I mean, frankly, just because I mostly game on PC, would be talking about consoles so much now, it's because this is really a big deal. This is a much bigger deal than any individual graphics card launch, I think, on PC. And so I think it deserves quite a bit of coverage, and there's going to be more leaning up to it. Um, And so I guess to discuss all of the just tsunami of console news coming out now, and frankly, it's probably just... uh, (laughs) <laughs> just getting started compared to what's going to happen in august um you know i'm tom and i'll let my guest introduce himself hi yeah it's it's michael
1: from uh, nx gamer so you may or may not have heard of me i'm not that big a channel but i've been doing this for a while um again as tom just said it's more about video game technology development how the hardware works and i'm predominantly console orientated because that's kind of where a lot of the market for games is but again i use pc play pc and have worked in the pc environment for years so uh, i know it well and still love it
0: to be honest for me it's really refreshing um and we've talked offline before how nice it is to talk to someone who discusses consoles discusses the technology behind them and actually knows what the hell they're talking about like I mean, I don't know how many podcasts you listen to, but it really feels like sometimes I can only listen to a podcast about graphics cards where they barely even talk about games, or I can listen to a console podcast where good Lord, do they have no fundamental clue how like relative performance, like half of the time they don't even understand what resolution (laughs) is like, like, and, and it's, and I've never understood why, honestly, I, I don't understand. Like, it's just, it's, I mean, especially now, it's just x86 CPUs, AMD graphics cards. It's the same as gaming on PC. I understand why so many console gamers fundamentally don't understand anything about what they're playing.
1: It's true. And I think it's sometimes there's there's um, there's, there's bliss in ignorance, isn't there? There's the ignorance in the bliss because if you just get on and play the game, you don't worry about what it's doing, how it runs. And I can understand that to a principle. But it's
0: consoles gravitate. Those types of
1: They do, well. yeah, because they're, they're, they're just, I mean, I know you'll get a lot of PC people that hate, but g- generally, PC gaming is more more effort than console gaming. That's, that's not, I'm not saying it's a huge effort. It's nowhere near like it used to be back in the day when you were doing INI files and worrying about auto and all yeah. that kind of stuff that was big. But it certainly was important to have a good knowledge, technical knowledge base on a PC to game on it. Whereas now, that's not really that important. Whereas consoles is still that fundamental come home, pick up the joypad, turn it on. Works. That's it. Play the game, and digital's kind of made that even easier because you don't have to get off your ass to swap the disc. So it's all much simpler now. But the technology behind it, I think, is is even more of a black hole than it ever was because I think there's a lot of fundamental tricks that can be played, done, worked around in hardware. And I haven't worked in hardware and software for many years. I still don't know everything. Nobody does. No such thing as an expert, in my opinion. No,
0: and the more you know, the more you realize you're never going to know all of it. So just talk about what you're sure you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and you've you ever heard of the Dunning Kruger effect? Yes. Yeah. So I think just like football fans, F1 fans, y- gaming people are the same way. They they get a little bit of knowledge, and sometimes that could be dangerous because you can run off and go 60 FPS and 4K is the only way to play a game. Everything else is mm-hmm. rubbish. And I think PC gaming is now starting to understand that with things like DLSS taking over and two point, and you know, and AMD sharpening yeah. it, 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 it's all taking more because you don't need to have huge amounts of pixels anymore. It's all about the quality, not the quantity. And that sounds really cliche in marketing, but it's true because if you spend more time generating just more pixels than actually generating better quality, but better blending, better higher levels of geometry specular pbr material pbr is probably the biggest shift we've seen this generation in terms of how games look and that's expensive compared to what it used to be like so that's why PBR lot, meaning in what oh sorry physically based rendering so physically based mm-hmm. shading so it, it's it's taken into account where or how objects and materials look so that's what's important in rendering nowadays and that's one of the big pushes that sony and the biggest studios have gone for in the last five ten years is making everything pbr based and that's a that's mm-hmm. a fundamental investment in your pipeline it's not just technology it's not just hardware it's artistry it's it's artists creating textures and materials and understanding the laws of physics and lights and photons and it sounds really boring but that's what mm-hmm. that's what's exciting to game technology now and graphics because that's the wow factor fundamentally that you see when you watch a game when you look at it and go that looks incredible but the reason for that is because of those materials and that lighting properties. It's one of the reasons why watchdogs all those years ago looked so good because they set it yeah. in, in that rain with that. Mo- and it yeah,
0: highlights the lighting that. was insane. Yeah. So
1: a bit of a segue there, but yeah, technology is important, but yeah, it's good to have a, I think a, a good understanding of the basics. And like you say, a lot of tech channels or a lot of gaming channels lack that and They can sometimes confuse people by saying the wrong thing, not intentionally sometimes, but they do. And then it can get taken away and end up on tweets and everything else. And it just becomes fact at that point.
0: Well, and, and I, and, you know, it goes both ways. So I I, I run into console gamers who sometimes, and again, like, I want to be clear. A lot of my friends don't follow the hardware closely. Most of my friends don't. I'm the weird computer guy in the friends group. But I find it so bizarre how fundamentally sometimes you would think if you cover gaming, you know, just enough. Like I remember on Sacred Symbols, and I I actually love this podcast, but they were talking about how it was understandable that control had a choppy frame rate on PlayStation because it has ray tracing. And I'm like, not on console, it doesn't, buddies. Jesus Christ, can you, like, do a Google search before you say crazy stuff like that? You know, but 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 it goes both ways. And I'll see, and it's kind of a different thing, though, where I'll see PC gamers just fundamentally think all consoles are weak when, and I saw this, to a hilarious degree around the PS4 and Xbox One's launch, where people were like, all they have is an APU and a tablet CPU. And I'm like, I'm not aware of any of these Jaguars you can buy on PC with eight cores. I'm not aware of any of the, like, uh, of, like the PS4's GPU specifically had, um, I believe, the, the same amount of asynchronous compute units as a 7970, despite being closer to a 7870, you might say, and it had all this other stuff as well. It's like, it's really actually a lot stronger than you guys seem to think it is. Um, and I just wish more often people would like converge and just get a little sampling of the knowledge so they don't they don't frankly just um rule out all of this other stuff. Like I don't know me personally, like just kind of off subject, but like how you could miss some of these games in other ecosystems. Cause like there are some games that aren't on PC that if I wouldn't have played them, I would just say, I don't even know if I'd be the same person. Like that's how good I thought those games were. Um and, and and I think it's starting to merge a little bit now, though. You're starting to get this cross-pollination between groups, and you're starting to see people on PC realize it's not all about the pixels. I remember Metro 2033, I had a 560 Ti. That game was brutally hard to run, as everyone knows, for the time. But I found that at 900p, I could not tell the difference between high and ultra. And so I found I could like basically get double the frame rate for like a noticeable but not as substantial as you'd think downgrade in quality just going to 900p and then also setting it to high like and that's when it comes to pixels and things like you said like DLSS people are starting to realize that it's not just about frankly and and some people would say I'm sacrilegious for saying this it's not even just always about the frame rate it's about the consistency of the frames it's about more pixels are always better but are you actually showing more detail? With the extra pixels, because that's what it comes down to. Is as you add more pixels, you can show more detail. But if you're not showing more detail, you're wasting you're wasting horsepower. There's probably a better balance there. And I think, well, frankly, I think um, we, we, we're seeing that now with how different some of the new gameplay demos for next gen are looking. Where some are like, "Well, but this one's running 4K 16 it's like, "Well, that's fine. It looks worse than current gen." <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. And I think that's the risk you have when
1: you just concentrate on one metric. And I think that's the problem mm-hmm. with console gamers as well. I think, I think this generation's definitely made console gamers v- very very interested in resolutions more than they used to be. It's always been an argument, but now 4K Because of those
0: is, comparisons between Xbox One and PlayStation 4, the relentless comparisons on Digital Foundry.
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, resolu- I've always said resolutions is overblown. It's, it's all about, there's a lot of things you can do with an image to make it look better rather than throw more pixels at it. And I think you, you're right in saying that ultra and high can be very close. And that's, that's, again, basics of development. You know, When you make a technique or when you create a, an engine branch to add an additional effect or a post processing effect, like ray tracing, for example. Battlefield mm-hmm. was retrospectively added, and it was quite obvious. I think I covered it when they did the first preview that they were using a fallback to SSR, and that's screen space reflections because those effects are very, very, very intense on performance, but they're almost minor sometimes in people's notes, them. You know, like, like HBAO plus and things like that. The impact of that kind of level of ambient occlusion compared to screen space ambient occlusion where you get that kind of draw effect at the edge of the screen or where things occlude the object and it disappears and fades back. Yeah. in, It could save you two, two milliseconds, maybe, on a frame. That's a long mm-hmm. time. In a 60-millisecond frame, you know, that's, that's saving you 20%. That's a yeah. lot to lose just because you've got slightly better ambient occlusion in the screen. And most people sitting on the screen playing it wouldn't notice it. But that could be the difference between running at 4K and running at 1440p. It could make that mm-hmm. difference in that smooth frame, and like you say, it's all about frame time, not frame rates.
0: Right? Developers always talk in frame times.
1: Yeah, right? it's, it's the it... most important thing. That's the only thing they live by. They only live by the frame that you, you don't see it, but it's, it. They just build the frame up in the time they've got, and they move to the next one. So mm-hmm. the frame rate is kind of a. It comes because of the frame time, and that's the most important thing. But yeah, it is a shame. And even now, even though I think one of the reasons why I started the channel was. Not educate, because that sounds really patronizing, and, and I don't never mean that to be patronizing. <laughs>
0: yeah, I always find that just a little arrogant when you hear some YouTubers go, "Well, I wanted to teach people or make people think," and it's like, "Well, I think you mean that well," but at a certain point, it sounds like you're saying my opinion's the good one.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's not, and and exactly that. Mm, that always. Uh, that's the that's the, the 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 truth of it. I've seen channels, I've seen websites, I've seen information where it's so. Overly wrong or misinformed that <laughs> i I got annoyed sometimes, like, Oh my God, that's so wrong! what and yet it was yeah. popular, and I think that was one of the reasons why I just wanted to talk about a subject that I liked I was involved in, and I didn't think it had a lot of um impact in the market. A lot of people talk about games and technology, but they don't really add much to
0: it. I mean, I see so many videos or podcasts where they like do a news roundup for p c gaming and like the entire analysis is either only things they want to show that they're right about, or they'll say, Oh, wasn't that funny? And then have nothing to add to it. I think when it comes to like the stuff I try to make, it's like, I, I like, I'll get these questions all the time. Oh, why didn't you cover this new graphics card launch here or this CPU launch here? And it's like, well, I think everyone else did fine. Uh, And I don't think I have anything to add to this conversation. But then I'll see the same mistake made three videos in a row from other people. And I'll go, okay, I'm just going to do a video about this thing that I think people are missing. And, I mean, yeah, when it comes to making mistakes, it's like, I think it was, I think I heard this. In an interview with Jason Bateman, who's becoming more of a director now than an actor, and he said, the number one rule you can learn is there's the script you write, the script you shoot, and the script you edit. And I've written a script for a video before, started recording it, and while double-checking things realized, oh, maybe maybe the story is this, and uh, what I thought I was going to talk about isn't important. And then in post, when I'm editing it again, I'll be like, Oh, oh, I completely have a blind spot here, and I need to add a whole new section to it there and I think it's you make the biggest, most grievous mistakes when you just do it from start to finish quickly in like an hour because then you can make I've made wild you know misses before doing stuff like that, and it's really taking the time to really. Check yourself multiple times. That's important. But yeah, you you touch on it. So like, how much do you want to go into it? Like, where are you from? Like your background? Do you want to go into that at all? Yeah, well, I, but like I say, I'll
1: go into it briefly. I, I work for a big national multinational tech company, so I work for a tech mm-hmm. organization. Have done for years. I've worked predominantly in corporate bank um, government work. So I do a lot of uh, development work in terms of data centers, migrations, CRM software development, ER, ERP's, WMS's database, SANS, all that kind of boring stuff. So I've been around and worked as a you know, a, a developer and architect and then leading teams in development now. So I'm more of a what you would call a senior. And I know there's programmers that will be listening to this and go, oh, my God, he's a senior developer. Uh, I hate them. But I, I still, I still try and do as much as I can hands-on. But it does get harder when you've got a lot of other commercial involvement that gets involved in what you do. So I still like to keep my hand in the technology, keep my eye on what's going mm-hmm. on in the world, and keep my eye in terms of what happens. And I'm privileged in the sense that I get a lot of variety in what I do. So I can work for certain companies for two years, certain (laughs) companies for two years. And because of the nature of the business, you do get and see and speak to a lot of different people that do a lot of different things. So I've been privileged in that sense. And I think that having a good basis in software and hardware, even from my origins as a kid with the Commodore 64 and the ZX Spectrum and the Mm. Commodore Amiga. So I think that's always been my core interest. I I always knew from a very young age when I first started programming at six, seven, that this was what I wanted to do. Um, And I do miss just being a programmer for want of a better description. Mm. I do miss just having a brief, getting on with it, thinking of the problem, solving it, developing it, shipping it, whatever. But I do, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because that can get monotonous because you feel like you don't have control over the whole package when you're just doing vertical slices. Um, Whereas now I kind of have a bigger overview because I kind of develop the, the solution from the customer's
0: problem, and I like which is really rewarding, right? To, it is. It is. It's, it's terrible
1: when it goes wrong, and we've had them. You, you have a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's that whole joke about development, where there's that one about it, the customer wants a rope swing. You've ever heard that one? It's a visual no. joke, but it's it's a it's a rope swing with a with a rope and a, and a hoop, and you sit in it and swing. Right. And it's got this is what the customer wanted. This is what the architect heard. This is what the developer thought they wanted, and they're all completely oh, different. Am. Yeah and i think that that is genuinely true of development it's, it's they give it a name now it's called design thinking it's a horrible everything has got to have a name nowadays but <laughs> design thinking's not new it's been around since forever since i've been working and it's just about sitting down and speaking to people understanding their problem before you rush to the solution
0: and i think that's yes good that is so yeah. imperative yeah honestly because you can spend frankly you can waste so much energy trying to make something you thought was the solution and it turns out you're solving the wrong problem entirely. Exactly.
1: And, and, and that's what makes development fun, is because software is one of the one things you can change course. You can course correct quite late mm. on. It, it, there's always restrictions and reasons, yeah. and there's paths you go down. But that's what I quite like about it. But it's always, a, it's always being able to. I mean, the, the agile technology now, the agile terminology and, and the methods that people use, not methodology, if anyone jumps on me, but it's the methods and the <laughs> process. It works to an extent, and I like that. But there is a a risk that's become apparent in the last few years. And I think game development has fallen into this as well. Yes. Where you can think that it's agile, and agile means chaotic. You don't really have a plan, and you just, you just, Sort it out as you go. Yeah, there,
0: a lot of people believe in the move fast and break things mentality too much to the point that they forget that if you break too many things, you're being counterproductive. Is the word you should probably be using, guys? <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 exactly. And, and but I think you've got history in the same area, haven't you? Your your area of expertise is where you've worked before. So
0: yeah, I mean, so I mean, I'm a mechanical engineer. I've done some programming, although I always kind of tried to stray more. Whenever we had to do programming for a project, I would stray more towards the outlining what the code would be and not actually writing it myself because there were just always people who could write it better than me. But yeah, I worked for uh, General Motors and other automotive companies as well, Uh, usually something having to do with validation or the sales side. So they're two different things, but actually very, very similar work of like making sure what the customer wants is getting done correctly. And on time, a lot of a lot of angry meetings. Frankly, when you're doing validation work, because I'm I'm always the one who tells people that it didn't pass the test. Yeah,
1: bad news. But then you you need it because I think having that expertise and that comes across in some of your videos as well. You've got a good commercial view of the world. I've said this before when we spoke briefly ah, earlier. Thank but you. You understand the real life of commercials. The, the amount of stories I've seen, you know, you get comments on the internet where it's like. That's not how corporate works. People don't do that. People, And it's like, seriously, they do. Trust me, I've I've worked and been on projects where they've literally made decisions based on the owner's decision, his personal view yeah. on something. Oh, yeah. Not the right one. He just, I, I don't want it because I don't want it and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that so many times in my life. I'm like, there's no way that doesn't happen in every other company that's of that size because that's just the way it works. That's how the world works. And I think mismanagement is also one that people don't understand it's hard to manage multiple teams and th- people yeah. think it doesn't really happen and it it literally does but it's not the excuse for everything but it it's a real problem in so many areas that i see and work in day to day
0: it's it's very hard to convey you know and i will say that like just to like make sure people understand, you don't work for like Microsoft or Sony here, guys. No, so no, no. no. A, so, just, oh, and you're not connected to the companies that have a very big dog in this next gen console fight. So, I just want to make sure people know that. From but, but I will say that I do know you work for a company that is very much so a big one and an important one up there with those companies. I think we'll just say that, um, just to try to make sure people understand, you have the credibility, but you're not <laughs> you're not biased. Which there's so much assumption of bias. Right now, yeah, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to get people to understand. Like, I think you can sometimes almost tell when someone hasn't worked in a mega company before. Like, when I worked at General Motors at their tech center um, in Warren, Michigan, I'm, I mean, guys, this tech center, I think, held 50 to 100,000 people. There's more people at this campus and it's one of their like 20 campuses, then there, it's 10 AMDs at this one location I worked at most of the time, guys. Like when you get into companies this big, and like when now we're talking about like people like Sony, Microsoft, or Intel, these absolute behemoths, like it's hard to convey just how much of it is the flow and the culture of the company and how much of it is about the individual, but also really isn't at the same time. Like I think, One thing I want to say is I think there's a lot of tech tubers right now focusing too much on the personalities. Like the personalities definitely matter, especially at the very top. I will say that at the very top, the CEO, that one matters a lot. But it's more of like a potential to matter and less about they are causing all of it. Right? Like Jim Keller didn't make Zen. A thousand people or more made Zen. And they were all probably working very, very hard. It wasn't just one guy. You know, a a perfect CEO can take a company that's falling apart and salvage it and turn it into a competitor again. But like the worst CEO can't do all of it. There were other people screwing up too. Hundreds of other people.
1: Yeah, and it's all about the person steering the ship. I think the CEO or whoever it might be, the program manager, the, the architect, the producer, the director, whatever, whoever it actually is. It's, it's as much about people management as it is about process management. And people forget that. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you've hit the nail on the head there about the fact that you can get wrapped up in thinking about individuals. And we're all guilty of that. I've even done it myself. You know, you can talk about people that you admire in terms of their technology or their mindsets or their their skill sets. Think people like John Carmack, It it's mm-hmm. not one individual. You know, it's not. It's never one individual. It's always a bunch of very clever and dedicated people making something, whatever it might be. It might be a mm-hmm. motorcycle, it might be a car, it might be a bike, it might be a game, it might be whatever. But that's what makes a company work. It's the individuals coming together to, for a shared goal. And I think one thing that companies lack, and I think, not to start an, an argument, because it's one of the things I think, <laughs> Xbox is a, is a good example of when you've got to keep a mission statement true. And I think mission statements are horrible mm. cliche, but it's true because if a company has a mission statement, then everyone knows what they're following to. But I think in the original Xbox One launch, it was a good example of they didn't oh, have that sure. because they were happen, all contradicting yeah. each other about it. there is DRM, there's not DRM, there's going to be online, there's not going to be offline. It, it was Everyone was contradicting each other in a very short space of time because they didn't all go in with a single mission statement of what they were selling. That's how you get bad PR. You don't get it because you're lucky. You get it because you're inconsistent. And I think that's that's one thing that NVIDIA are very, very good at, being consistent. Oh, yeah.
0: Consistent and on the same page. And it's like, once we're going to do something, we're doing it. Yeah. you know. And then they just do it. And if it fails, it fails. But it failed because... I mean, I don't know how many examples I could give of the opposite. I could come up with about a dozen from both Xbox and Sony where they launch a product and I go... And then there's like zero follow through or consistency in who this product's for. And you just go, well, then why did you even launch it? Like, I don't even understand. TV. Yeah. That's my favorite example of just, yeah. Yeah. It's a a card. It's a deck of cards, PlayStation Vita. You can play Killzone on it with a PS three controller and it doesn't run Netflix. That was the most insane thing I've ever seen. Like, and you know, you know, Sony's, Actually, has uh, the, uh, less disorganized as we were just talking about Xbox. If I was going to say what I would say about Sony's, it just seems like there's so many swings and misses. It's like with Sony, either it's perfect or it's a bumbling mess, yeah. to like a degree I've never seen before. And I just don't under. And you kind of saw when Kazurai took over Sony, he saw that, and he's like, "It's time to close half of our." teams because we are just too disorganized right now and we can do some things well and when we don't do them well we have absurd blunders. Yeah, and and that's what a company's
1: got to stay true to what it can do well. I think you're right. And I think Sony's figured that out over the time. They've they've figured out what their brand is and what it should and shouldn't do. And I think that's what makes them work. I mean, PSVR is only there really because it's it makes it's a USP for them. It's it's something different that differentiates them mm-hmm. from anyone else in the market. And I think that's that's what they've done well, even though a lot of the market, and I'm a big fan of PSVR and VR as a whole, I think it's great and I do cover it, but it's not had the uptake that I think everyone hoped, including themselves, but they've not given up on it. And I think that's,
0: well, I think it's because it's relative, right? It's still the best-selling VR device by like absurd margin, as far and, and and people can correct me if I'm wrong, but every time I check, it's still like outsold every other VR device combined. Maybe not anymore. I think
1: I think the Oculus the Oculus has taken over because of the cheap little cheap versions they've done now. They've done that for that yeah. wireless one. The Oculus Go is it called? I think.
0: Yeah, that one, and it has the it has the the processor built into yeah. the set, so there's no wires. Which is, I mean, this is, I mean, and we'll get into it later. I, I have a couple of VR questions, but it's not, I don't think it's ever going to take off until we remove those wires.
1: It's not, absolutely. But again, just it, it's. I think that's what
0: makes a company strong,
1: and I think Microsoft have have done that just to take somewhere else, is, is Game Pass. That's become their strong brand. It's become their big...
0: But then they need to stick to it, right? They can't... And you, you can almost see the cracks appearing where they're not sure if they want to commit to it or not. Um, again, yeah, you're kind of like Xbox One. They had several strategies kind of in the oven, and they weren't sure which one they were going to go with. And, and then they just... None of them worked out. No.
1: I mean, the Xbox One was slightly a little bit behind the curve in terms of smart TVs. It was a little bit too little too late. Although... It got a lot of the things right. It was just too soon. And that's happened a lot. You know, history always tells you that being first to market doesn't mean you win. It's it's all about timing. You can lead a horse to water and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes the market isn't ready to take digital, for example, back in 2013. Mm-hmm. But it is now. And that's why I was really happy to see both consoles launching with the disk drive. Because that was a big fear for me as, a, as an older yes. gamer. And not having the ability to buy a physical disk would would really annoy me to the extent I have to deal with it but it's one thing I don't want to do and I was around when PC wasn't digital and was physical and I missed that the days when that all went wrong and went down the digital path because it just I don't know there's something that gets lost when you don't own a disc anymore but that's probably an age thing it's a nostalgia thing because you have always used to owning and having games all over your walls and in your cupboards and owning so much stuff that you can't do it anymore I mean mm-hmm. 20% of the games released on console past, past couple of years were digital only Yeah. So anyway, I sound like like old man yells at cloud.
0: Well, not really. I mean, I honestly personally thought that for sure this generation would still need to have disk drives, but that it wouldn't surprise me at all if they had versions without it. Um, And and, I mean, that's exactly what we're seeing, right? You know, so um, I think we're just still, and I think it's like, it's one of those things, I'm trying to think of like an analogy, but it's like, I swear I heard on PlayStation now most of their sales are digital like last year, which is insane when you consider that. It's like, well, so it's flipped already, but it's like, I get the sense that that, uh, I don't know what it's at, maybe 55% now. If it gets to like 70, that's a lot, but like still, if there was just a 25% of the market insists on buying with the, the disc version and some people, I mean, sometimes, you know, your internet goes out. Sometimes, you're out getting groceries and then you're next to a Best Buy and you go, oh, you know what? I do want to pick up this game right now. And I think it's just that 25% though is an important 25% they still can't eliminate. that. That's basically, and and, you know, you watch Blu-rays on these things or at least some people do. So there's always that as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a a good market to have. And you're right, it has gone up. I think the last quarter of Sony sales and probably Microsoft as well, were 60, 60, 70% of that glass portal was digital. But a lot of that was to do with COVID-19 and you couldn't get to a shop and that improved, that increased sales. But yeah, they're well over 50% now. I I reckon 2020 will end somewhere around 70,
0: 75%. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I've heard as well. So we've been kind of jumping around all over the place. I'm actually not sure where to jump into the script that we've written down first, but I think I'm going to go actually skip ahead a little bit and say... Before we go deep into what we think about the Xbox and the PlayStation Five, are there any big misconceptions? I think we've touched on a few, but are there any big misconceptions about previous generation consoles? You know, I, I mean, I could be anything, but I would say probably most likely a technical misconception that you see the general public keep repeating that bugs you, like like that comes immediately to mind.
1: I think the whole DirectX twelve and DirectX DirectX stuff was was misused i think that was one where people thought it was going to i did a video on back at the back in the day where it's it's generally going to be cpu related it's generally going to reduce the overhead and the driver cost of having two pieces of hardware miss you know communicating between the mm. cpu and the gpu and passing data off into caches and ram allocations and mem alloc and all that kind of weight that goes along with driver overhead all that was the main drive behind reducing that and it was around the time when AMD had their um, Mantle driver out, and that was being right. pushed. And I did a video back then when I was saying, and was, it's was pretty obvious what they were doing. Mantle was never meant to come to market. It was never, it was never designed to do anything. It was mm-hmm. designed to do nothing more than get Microsoft to move their asses and get direct oh. working or get another competitor out there, because AMD was struggling like hell against Intel, and some of yeah. that was down to their driver cost. So they needed a reduction on that, and that was a big drive and I think back when that happened um there was a lot of misinformation I can't think of a better way of describing it about how big a difference DirectX was going to make to the Xbox and how it's going to improve p c and it was it was yeah. just it was it was a to the metal api just like consoles have, and it was it's kind of it's a little bit arrogant in saying that you don't understand but it kind of you don't understand that the API is not just about the fact that it's well written and it, it exposes a lot of the hardware. It's the fact that it's specific to the hardware. That's what makes it really, really impressive. And I was trying to talk about that and how how important Nvidia and AMD drivers are and why you get driver updates and how they can make huge difference to performance. And it was all completely lost and everyone and it kind of got misconstrued and then everyone got disappointed because it didn't offer all these. It, was, it wasn't was suddenly going to make well, the Xbox I think One or PS4. there's really no
0: good way to market the effort that was being put into Mantle, if you think about it. Like, the, my, post-mortem for me, the way I think of DirectX 12, especially after, I think we're now finally firmly getting into the DirectX 12 period, which it took forever to get into. But what I'm seeing is it's like, it's not about getting more performance or utilizing your more cores or utilizing weaker CPUs better. It's about, DirectX 12, the fact that it can leverage so many threads in a more efficient way is going to allow for better and bigger games. Like that's really all it was. And it's like, how do you tell people, oh, you know, Mantle's this big deal? Except they're really like, everyone was like, oh, so I, all anyone ever seems to want to hear is I'm going to get more performance. And so that's what they told us. And that's what Microsoft told us. And I, I think it's pretty obvious at this point, that's not. What it's about? It's just going to allow us to make games we couldn't make before, and it's about bloody time we started building games on DirectX 12 that didn't get choked by the <laughs> didn't get choked by the fact that you don't have a five gigahertz CPU.
1: Well, and I think it hits on a very good point, and this is one that a lot of people don't pick up on, and it's another misconception. And that's it's all about investment and development. It's very very hard to change. An engine, totally. And I'm, I'm generalizing now when I say engine, but a code base that has a level of construction behind it that has loads of calls, loads of connections, it, it manages so much overhead, and it's got a library of, of processes that are built. You can't just arbitrarily go in and go, do you know what? I'm going to move it all over to Direct 12. Because, for example, if your API mm. process behind that is sufficiently different, so for example, if we, if we took mesh shading in Direct 12 Ultimate as a, as a big change, that removes the entire pipeline of a modern GPU in terms of moving it all to a compute-based process. So mm-hmm. you 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 have control at where and how you draw meshes, objects, triangles, where you call them, and that that's a huge change. And the fact that it's already out there, people will expect games in the next twelve months to be shipping with that, and there won't be. They're just because mm-hmm. the, people have got to go. Do you know what? I've got to pick my battles. And when you when you change an engine base, when you change your engine. And if it's if it's changed by a certain percentage, then marketing will jump in and say, "New engine, great, ten percent different. Mm-hmm. It must be a new engine."
0: Yeah, yeah. Because that's the other thing too: is marketing is going to immediately ask, "How do I sell this?" Well, you, and you know this. This is another misconception. It's not people who do the technology are not the people that sell the technology. It's not yeah. them.
1: And so you have to understand that when you're changing something like a driver or like an API or like an entire engine construction, it takes time. And sometimes developers are hamstrung by what their engine can do or what the limitations of the engine are and how it was written. So if you don't have a very jobified engine process, for example, so you don't break down your jobs in a very granular atomic way and then allow them to branch off on multiple cores, then when you've got multiple cores to work with, you're still like, that's great, and all, but I'm still limited to one core because my whole worker threads on that one core. So I need fast CPUs. And then Everyone goes, this game's amazing. Look at it. It's using all eight cores. It runs at 60 FPS. It's amazing. <laughs> and the next game comes. What's wrong with the hardware? It's crap. It it's probably not the hardware. It's probably the yeah. guy's engine. And I think that gets that has always been misconstrued is game A runs brilliantly, game e, game B runs bad. And depending on who you're talking to, that's used as an argument to say the hardware is bad.
0: And software or the, the developers are lazy.
1: Yeah, yeah, they are lazy, lazy devs. Constantly. Yeah, plus, Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's
1: just the amount of effort that goes into Making a game run that you don't see is is far bigger than everything you do see on screen. And I think that doesn't get the credit it deserves sometimes. It just doesn't get the credit it deserves. And investment is a big part of that.
0: I'm going to throw in a reader mail here that I think should fit in. So Clean Sweep writes in and he says, with RDNA2 and Ampere running different methods of ray tracing, how bad do you think things will be for benchmarking both architectures against each other? Between drivers, game optimizations, and having to pick game software for standardized testing, it seems like a recipe for chaos in the next few months for people testing these new GPUs. So I'm going to jump in and say that what I've heard is that at the driver level, they almost operate ray tracing in a similar way, with AMD having more of an advantage if it's a lot of the same type of ray tracing as what I've heard, but that if you're a dev on PC, that you're kind of just writing the same drivers. They just handle it. They organize the hardware in a much different way between RDNA and Ampere. I don't know if you've heard that or if you see it differently or think it's going to work differently than that.
1: I, I don't honestly know exactly how the AMD ray tracing works. <laughs> None of us do to this day, even though... All all I know is it's definitely using shader cores to do the work. And I think very much like the RTX cards, it's designed slightly slightly less because the RTX cards, I think, has more direct hardware dedicated to doing it in the Turing hardware. But it's it's designed to do the BVH sample, use the shader cores, basically texture units to sample that off and then pass it back to do whatever work you need to do with it. So... It's all about how efficient they are in splitting and breaking down their, their octree or their, their boxes, their BVH of heart of geometry and understanding how well to use it. That won't change because the hardware behind the scenes has changed. So, the, like you say, you're mm. right, the driver, the API is not going to change significantly. If it does, they're kind of making a rod for their own back because they're going to have to basically reinvent a lot of their work that they've done already. Which, why,
0: which you know, even if they organize right, because what I've heard is that it's on a per compute unit level how RDNA 2 handles ray tracing versus the completely separate in a different area tensor cores. I could be wrong, but that's what I've heard. Just because you've moved basically similar hardware types around on the die doesn't mean the person writing the game has to do that much differently to plan for it. It's just, you know, building things in a different shape.
1: No, exactly. And I think uh, it's always a tough one to talk about to, to describe how the RTX offloads the the ray tracing or the, the ray casting and sampling point, the intersection. And that's really the way I kind of describe it is it's like the RTX has got a third eye, but it's still having to draw the same picture with the same two hands the AMD card's got. That's it. So it, uh-huh. it, it can look at what it needs to sample without affecting what it's doing. But it, it still has to draw with the same two hands. And then I think that's what uh, the RTX hardware does. It's, they've done well again by saying it's all offloaded. It's, all, it's not. If you, for example, no. if you, let's take a reflection. If you've got a reflection off screen of a car and you're looking at a window, the only thing that's offloaded is the fact that it doesn't have to worry about sampling that reflection, that reflecting ray, hitting the light, bouncing off, finding the object that's behind you on screen. And then it's still got to say, right, I've now got to go and. Ask for that from the GPU. I've got to create a draw call to draw it. I've got to pick the right LOD level that I'm going to draw it at and stick it on the screen. That's all going to go through the raster pipe like everything else. It's mm-hmm. just the fact that you don't have to waste energy writing a software raycast or ray trace to find that object. That can be done offloaded as a hardware call. Go and, mm-hmm. go and sample these screens, fire load arrays, and come back to me when you've got some answers and I'll do some work on it. That's really what it's doing. And I think AMD have just gone down the route of saying We'll use some of our compute units to do that if you want to, but it will come at the cost of your workload.
0: Because mm-hmm.
1: it's 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 not dedicated hardware. That's what I've heard. Unless it is, and we don't know, because that's the other thing. We don't <laughs> we don't know right. what's specifically in both these the X theories X or the PS5. We don't know. I don't know anyway.
0: Well, and that's what's so funny to talk about this is, you know, I I I've known for a while from a couple sources at NVIDIA that Ampere's coming out in September. And I've heard from some sources not at AMD, connected to AMD, that they want, not that they necessarily will succeed in, but that they want to have all of the consoles and, you know, quote unquote, big Navi out around Thanksgiving at the same time to really take it to NVIDIA from a bunch of different markets. And it's funny because I hear that RDNA 2 is delayed from, I think they wanted to launch it in October, but now it's sounding like it might slipped to launching right next to the consoles. And it's it's just so funny to think how little we know about RDNA 2 fundamentally when the PS5's been in production for a month. And so it's like, what is going on? I mean, at the very least, AMD's doing a good job of keeping their rumors from spreading as very differently than before where they all got out. But I mean, I think either way, though, I do want to ask you this. So it's, it, it, I think either way, though, and I've heard, I forgot who said this, I've, I've heard um, several tech tubers I've had on broken silicon describe it this way, and I, I agree. It's that th- when it comes to hardware, it's what's out after 2020 and what's out before 2020. Because everything coming out with these consoles, Ampere, RDNA2, is going to be fundamentally more capable than, I, I would argue, a somewhat more stagnant period that we've had for the past five years. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's a... It's not a paradigm yet, but
1: it's it's certainly it's it's the next generation for PC hardware, and we've we've seen them multiple times. And I think this is it. It's the it's that classic time when this is not the time to buy new PC hardware.
0: Oh my God, I know. It's just well, not. And I, and I want to ask this reader mail specifically then, because I want to touch on this, and I've touched on it in about a dozen videos and and, and podcasts in the past month. But I want to specifically answer this in a different way after talking to some of my friends about it. So writes in and he says do you think a 1080ti will hold its resale value well enough for sale after an ampere refresh no right and i think that's an easy answer like i made about a and it and it and i know from your face you're like obviously not <laughs> but it's like like let's compare here's how i'm going to put it let's compare generations maxwell compared to kepler I believe, added about another 40% to 50% performance, which was crazy impressive for being on the same node. And then Pascal comes out, and that added, frankly, like 60% more performance. And if you think about it, Maxwell actually was almost cheaper than Kepler. Pascal was slightly more expensive than Kepler. And then Turing came out... 35%, 35 percent not 40 not 50 not 60 35 percent better than Pascal and substantially more expensive depending on the graphics card in the lineup and so the only reason that's happened people and the people say well you don't sell your cards it's like but this generation was different the only reason that happened is they didn't have AMD competing even with I mean the tw- I mean they didn't have AMD competing with anything basically in the top half of their lineup for a while there and that's why it was a it was charged more for. It. However, guys, it was a 35% increase, not a 60. So if you have a $1200 card, guys, I mean, we know Ampere is going to be at least 30%, I think 40 or 50% better than Turing. So take, you know, take the 2060. <laughs> the 2080TI is about mm, 60% better than that. Do the math yourself. That means the 3060 will probably be not that far behind a 2080TI. And it could sell for 300 to 400. What do you think the 2080 Ti is going to cost if it does worse ray tracing, uses double the energy? It's going to lose like most of its value. But, and this is the important part because he asked about the 1080 Ti. Everything relative to the 2080 Ti will also lose a corresponding amount of value. So, if I think, for instance, the 2080 Ti will sell for 400 used or maybe 500 because NVIDIA cards just sell for too much used, the 1080 Ti is going to be like under 300 probably. Vega is going to be like below 150. I mean, you're going to have, I don't, I mean, I think the floor for graphics cards just seems to be $80. So I don't know actually if 580s are going to lose much value now that I think about it. But like, like, look at all of these other cards. People are like, well, what about my 2070? Okay. So if I think, <laughs> <laughs> if I think the 2080 Ti is 400 and I think the 1080 Ti is 300, I think the 2070 is going to sell for 200. Uh, in a couple months, guys. You so, need to do a chart. You need to do a chart to show it. Visualize. But like, like I'm not going to answer it for each graphics card. Look at the percentage difference in performance between the card you want to ask me and the 2080 Ti. That's how much less it's going to sell for by the end of this year, I think.
1: And it's all relative to
0: the environment you're selling in. I mean, I get this a lot in some of the comments. You know, there's there's
1: lots of areas and regions of the world that people buy. You know, Canadian dollar, Australian dollar, euros, yeah. pounds, dollar. so... It all depends where you're buying, where you're selling, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. So but like you say, it's not gonna they're not gonna make you money. You're not 2080 Ti or anything of that range is no it's not an investment. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's it's like a car. It's the depreciating asset. Very occasionally when we had the whole mining process, yes, that, that that happens. And I think that's made a lot of people But that's not the norm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's atypical of the market. And I think that's the point is A lot of people made so much money from that. They bought a GPU, they sold it, they bought a GPU, they sold it. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people got into the higher cards because they were like, I just made 150 on that. That's not going to happen again. And I think... It always comes down to, and, I, and, I, and this is absolutely true, again, of price, which you'll know of. Companies have a, have a, a region they're willing to sell a product for. And mm. NVIDIA will sell it at the absolute maximum they think they can get away with. And that's why yep. competition is the
0: best thing. It's their job. It's their obligation to their shareholders to do that too, guys. Yeah, it, there's no point in being in a business when you're not making money. It's the exact point of being in a business.
1: Like anyone, if, if you had a job and somebody paid you £5 to clean the street and £10 to clean the street, which would you choose? That's just obvious. That's just the obvious sense. So, yeah, the 28Ti or anything of thereabouts is not going to make any money. Sell it now, you'll make slightly more money than you will in two months'
0: time. Well, and, and, you know, people say, well, that's always true. And it's like, I just, I think this time's a little different compared to before. Because if you think about it before, if you sold your 1080Ti, I get it, guys. It, but it's atypical. If you sold your 1080 Ti for seven hundred dollars or six hundred dollars, then you, and, and then now you really can't get something uh, that much better for six hundred dollars. I get it, but but I've seen people say they can get eleven hundred dollars for a 2080 Ti right now, and I'm like, well, look, I use my Radeon Seven for rendering and all of this other stuff, so I'm not going to sell because it it's my. I need it. I need it for my business. But like, if I was just a gamer, eleven hundred dollars. Guys, that's going to buy you at least a 3070 and a new monitor in four months. So you tell me what you want to do. It's not for me to tell you for you, but I mean, come on.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, also the fact that that they'll discount brand new units to get rid of them. That will also happen. And that, that Mm -hmm. that just takes the bottom out of the used market. I think the used market is sometimes overblown in terms of how much you can make on it. I think you should all oh, see it absolutely. as a bonus. You should all see it as a bonus. If you, I mean, I, it's one of the things I, I get a lot when people do this weird, I'm, can I build a PC that's the same quality as a console kind of price range stuff. And it's like, then you get these, I, I got an online code for five quid. Oh, for I the. Know. It's like, oh my God, do you know what? You, you could buy anything cheap if you look around and you're hard enough and fix it. I mean, I've bought retro hardware and repaired it for like five quid. but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The average person is not going to buy a five quid console, take it apart, and then spend the next three months cleaning it, desoldering it, taking the resurface mounting. <laughs> it's that's not normal, is it? But that's a hobby. And that's the whole point. It's the used PC market is a is a good thing, but it should never be seen as a profit.
0: Making
1: thing because that I think that's bad in, in or,
0: or or a dependable profit. Yes, thing. You yeah, yeah. Be expecting to make money off of this, and I want to I want to touch on that too because I remember these. I don't know. I think they usually called them potato masher builds in 2014 or 2015, and and there were so many people showing it. Like, see, the PS4 isn't that good for the money. And I was just like dying laughing. I'm like, dude, you just built. A lot of them actually had those, um, I think they were Cabini quad cores, where they would like overclock these quad, like, uh, uh, or Jaguar. Yeah, so like the PC quad core Jaguar, they would overclock to three gigahertz and say, well, that's close to seven cores in the PS4 of 1.6 gigahertz. And then they do that, get the motherboard, buy a 750 Ti, which really isn't as strong as what was in the PS4, and eight gigs of RAM. And then they would often nail the motherboard to a board of wood. And be like, there, look, I did it for 450. I made something close to a PS4, and I'm like, yeah, a PS4 looks like almost a modern art piece, and you just nailed a motherboard to a board of wood. <laughs> I don't think you really made a good point, buddy. I don't no, think like, you made a good point at all. No,
1: they, they do. But again, it it gets views, and I think that's one of the the main things, isn't it, about
0: YouTube and.
1: The industry now, it's sometimes about what, what gets you the views rather than the content of what's in the video. That That's, that's one of the things that can be lost, I think, where you, you see a video with 3 million views and it's just some guy running around with the lowest and lowest settings of a game on a potato.
0: Going,
1: look how bad this Which game is looks. It's fun to see. It know, is. It I makes a you netbook. laugh. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And, and I like to know when my netbook can run, I don't know, the Division 2. Oh, it turns <laughs> out it can run it at like 60 frames, min settings in 720p. Good to know. In case I'm on a vacation, I can just power up the Division 2. But I don't know that it's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, again, you know, and, and and I think there are people who think I'm just bashing PC gaming. Like, I'm not trying to. It's like a PS4 couldn't run Office. It couldn't do all these other things your PC could do. It's just like, don't... <laughs> it's like people have a problem with something they liking not being the absolute best at everything. It's like no one's saying there's anything wrong with your PC. My My... No console can render my videos that makes me money to, on the Moore's Lost Dead YouTube channel. So I like PC a lot more than consoles in that regard. And, and, you know, the flexibility of like in some games going, well, in this game, I want it to run 120 hertz. And in this game, I think it looks better on ultra. You can't do that on a console, but you can't, it, it's not always going to be better at everything. Not everything is better at everything. And you just got to accept that these are different products. And that's fine, and I think that's what what
1: people sometimes get lost in. But again, that all comes down to to investment, doesn't it? And 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 I hate the word tribalism, but I use football fans as a, as a, an example. Probably American football, your way, or basketball, or whatever. They it, it can be You can get blinded by your team. It's you know mm-hmm. my team's the best team, and everyone else scrap. And I think that happens in consoles absolutely, and it happens in PC as well. So I think it's just it's easy to poo-poo something you don't like or is against what you've bought it for, or if you feel threatened or you miss out on something, it's, it seems to be a modern thing nowadays. He's not to say, do you know what? I'd love to play that. It looks great. It's more like, well, what's wrong with it? What can I find with the fault uh, with
0: it? I know. And you've seen this so much with so many recent releases. Um, and I, And I think it's kind of I mean, like, the, actually, you know, I'll just bring this up now briefly uh, for me, uh, like the, the whole thing around the last of us part Two screamed agenda for some people that they just had. They there. so many people seem to want that game to fail and make it about some political football that it wasn't really about. It's a story about revenge and how what people are willing to do to survive. That's it. And people turn this into some kind of political football. And it's like, you know, where does it end? Because like, I think it primed the Halo video for people to be extra judgmental of that. And it's like, I hope the people who spearheaded this just caustic negative mentality around things coming out. It's like, you realize it's going to blow back on you, though, right? Now you're going to have a bunch of people review bombing Xbox games that people are just trying to play. Like, I don't understand. And it's just, for some reason, I was hoping this generation there would be less of that, but it doesn't seem like it to me right now.
1: I I, I think that is one of the the, the problems. I know know politics, everything, everyone you talk about, you can't help it. You don't consciously talk about politics, but if you've got an opinion, that's politics. That's generally what it is. But The Last of Us is kind of a weird exception in the fact that, I think you said it last time we spoke, is, it doesn't really lend itself to being as popular as it was,
0: but it really hits. Right. right. That's a point I want to bring up is that I'm surprised The Last of Us won. I think it was just the perfect storm, right? I think in 2012, it was cool to like PlayStation. And so every and and Naughty Dog had just hit a few home runs and so people were primed to say the thing was good and now it's punk rock to hate on Naughty Dog in PlayStation and so it kind of was always going to be a polarizing game for that reason but if you look at the original Last of Us that really shouldn't have been a mainstream game that was practically like in uh, like an art house movie of a game That I think has fantastic gameplay. It's not the story. I think the gameplay is fantastic. But like it's literally built to make you feel like you're not a super soldier. Like you are just a normal person. Like you're every person you kill has a name. Like you'll kill someone in the game and they'll say they got Jimmy or something. And then like you'll see someone crying. Like and it's like this is not a game for most people. And yet they made it out like it was a mainstream and it is a mainstream success, I suppose. But And I think people are missing that with The Last of Us Part 2, how it really just doubled down that this is not a game for everyone. And that that's okay, though. It's okay. You just don't need to turn this into some weird political argument, guys.
1: Yeah, and that's it. I mean, entertainment is what it is. That's what we play games for. We don't play games to constantly go, okay, what's today's political agenda? Or what's going on in the world at the moment? Or is this going to teach me and educate me about how I should treat the world? or (laughs) <laughs> it's escapism. That's what games are. Yeah, And you can have a message in games just like you can in music and films and everything else, and it's absolutely fine. But I think uh, games that have a story that draw you in, that make you think, that make you feel and think about characters and think about what's happening in the world. And like you say, Joel's kind of a horrible person in The Last of
0: Us. That's what... Yes, and, and, and I think, and specifically um, to talk about The Last of Us here, I remember someone who was being um, negative about The Last of Us Part Two, saying that, yes, I understand Joel's not a good pers- person, but the fact that they, you know, and again, we're getting into spoilers, guys, but what, it's been a decade or whatever since that game? It's been like <laughs> seven years, so, you know, I, I won't get into too heavy spoilers if there's people that want to play it, um, but um, like that, it made sense why Joel did the things he did. And they make you kill a doctor at the end of the first game. And I think people said, well, you can explain why he did it, and that means it's okay. No, 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 no. You can explain why he did it. That doesn't make it okay. I think a lot of people, especially because they were forced to make the tough decision he did in the first game and kill that doctor, told themselves they're not bad people for doing that. And it's like, no, the story is it was bad, guys. Like, that was the point, is that... And again, there was this one sarcastic... I told you this sarcastic YouTube channel that acted like it was some big deal that he's like, you know, everyone... You know, really the point of The Last of Us Part 2 was that, fuck you, got mine. And I yelled at the TV, yeah, that was the point. Yeah. And you're acting like you stumbled upon this profound realization. It's like, no, the point of it was that Joel needed his daughter back to keep living and he would burn the world to the ground to get his daughter back. And that's what he did at the end of the first game. That doesn't make him a good person though, even if you can understand why he did it. Exactly.
1: And that's, the, again, it's the, the old saying that, you know, the, the road to heaven is paved with good, the road to hell is paved with good intention. And that's, that. that's the, really the point and the point of the story. It's all about Joel's descent or his need to, to fix the gap in his life, blinds him to everything else going on in his life. And, Everyone loves an antihero. You know, every popular yeah. a- action star is an antihero. Most of Schwarzenegger's roles. Indiana Jones is the, is the, one of my childhood favorites. Indiana Jones. He's a horrible guy when you think about it. He steals stuff. <laughs> he kills people. He, he blo- yeah, but
0: from a different era where people didn't think about things that way. Yeah, often though.
1: But but it's all well. Han, um, Han Solo, another antihero. He's a smuggler. He's a criminal. He's a bit of a, he's a bit of a bad guy in Star Wars. All those mm. characters kind of work out because. They're a little bit roguish, and there's that little bit of charm around them. Whereas Joel was just generally a, a real self-centered, I was horrible say, to guy. Be
0: clear, I think Jose was a, a lot worse of a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it was like the extreme of
1: it, but it it almost it it's that whole you know, the cause justifies the means. It's it's what what he's done is justified because his intention was good. So you can kill fifty people because in the end you wanted to save that one person at the end. But where do you draw the line? And I think that's what made The Last of Us really compelling to play because it was a really good, gritty, realistic story, as in none of it felt fake, none of it felt forced, it all felt very natural mm-hmm. like it could happen. And I think that popular things, like you said before, and it ha- this has always happened, like to get pulled down. There's nothing more edgy than saying, I mm-hmm. hate that popular thing over there. That's just the way it is. And I think that Last of Us 2, I, I, I hated this at the time, when somebody leaked all that footage, and I didn't see it, I didn't get involved in it, I didn't even read any of it. Mm-hmm. But that's a real crappy thing to do. Even if you hate something and you you don't like it and you think it's bad and you don't want you don't want your fan, friends and family to play it, that doesn't give you the right to ruin somebody's six years worth of work. And that's yeah, that's that's a real low level, I think, of going to to ruin a game's launch. And then, like you say, but review bombing is just this sad, weird craze anyway. Well, I, yeah, I, don't and get. I don't
0: want to dwell too much on like um, the whole leak thing, although I think there's no way around it. That leak. We'll never know how the game's launch would have been in a world where they just gave it a fair chance. Although, let's be clear, the game's selling incredibly well. It got good reviews. So I think at the end, you can see the Metacritic score slowly trickling up every week. So I think no matter how you look at it in a year, we'll look back and go, that was weird, but the game did incredibly well. But it's still, it still bothers me because the point I'm making just so everyone knows, isn't that you need to like this game? It's far from it. In fact, if you'll remember, when me and you just started talking 10 minutes ago, I said, specifically, I'm surprised so many people said they did like it, that I don't think this is a game for most people. The problem I have is that some people seem to not be okay with other people liking different things and trying to ruin it for other people. And I worry that it was ruined for some people, because I've seen a lot of people say, like, just be turned off to it or something. You know, I, I actually was playing a I went on vacation recently, me and my friends, we played it a little bit and he's like, so I expected all of these terrible things to be in this gameplay and there's and none of it was there. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's just the last of us part two. It's if you like the first one, you should like the second one. There's none of these messages they hit you over the head with. There's none of any of that. And and it's just, it's clear a disgruntled employee played that up. And I don't know what to say besides, like, I know some people who have friends that work at Naughty Dog and they say it's one of the best places they've ever worked. So you can never have everyone be happy to work everywhere, but it's just so sad. I, I I just get really annoyed at people like playing into and playing up certain aspects that half of the time are just conspiracy theories or you know, like playing up, oh, this is about, you know, journalism or this is about um working conditions and it's like God, these guys make like 200,000 a year this is not about working conditions guys
1: and and i think it's also overblown in the sense of people see what they want to see i, I said this a while ago on a, on some something else. i can't remember what it was something else but you know the crunch culture as people talk about in video games it's not exclusive to the video game world i hate to tell people no. but i've no, done it for years not. and years and years and for, and four years literally on a project four years where where six nine months of that is is 12-hour days, seven days a week, mm-hmm. weekends. Yeah, gen-
0: General Motors, there would be some weeks where I worked less than 40 hours, but there would be some weeks where, or three weeks in a row you did 60, and it's like, well, that's because this vehicle is going to launch and it needs to be safe for 10 million people to drive. So that's why I'm going to work 60 hours a week. I'm choosing to.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think that's that gets misconstrued. People, Some people love their job so much that they want to go into work and make a great products. And I think mm-hmm. that shows in Naughty Dog's products. I think that's... Now, I I covered it briefly, but I I have got a big video planned for that at some point when all the spoilers are gone, I can talk about the game fully because (laughs) on a technical level, that game still absolutely blows me away from an artistic and technical Mm. level. There's so many things in that game that they have done and they have delivered and they have managed to squeeze into a 2013 piece of hardware that you I am still always amazed at it. And I think, yeah, like pretty, you
0: say, it's pretty crazy actually, yeah, how it looks and how smooth it plays for something that <laughs> is, yeah, that old.
1: It's just a simulation in it as well. There's just, there's so much that you could discuss that the contextual animations, the way the characters speak to each other, the way they interact, the AI routines, the search routines. There's just so much that would just blows me away. And I think that it, doesn't get the, or it didn't get as much credit as it deserved because I think a lot of people were afraid to cover it because of all the hate
0: online. They were. I have been,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's a shame because it's a genuinely great game. And I think we said this before, there's a lot of great films and any good media stays with you. Like I say, 8mm with Nicolas Cage is a great film. Hard watch. Itchy the Killer. Mm-hmm. Another really good film. Very hard watch. You come away from it feeling bad, dirty even because you've watched the world you've uh, gone I, through.
0: So let me ask you this. I think this fits in perfectly here then. Original Ross writes in. He says, my first question, although I know that means jack shit as if it will get discussed or is even worth wasting breath on. We're wasting our breath on it, original Ross. So he says, you are, you are interviewing a fellow Brit on your channel as well for this episode. So the more I watch, listen to NX Gamer, the more I see the principles of his decisions of why he came into the YouTube sphere and into the world of tech and what you have also said, Tom, yourself in regards to the MLID website and your content and what drove you into tech and YouTube. With this premise in mind, can you please have a good, honest, frank, and typical no bullshit discussion on the current condition state of tech journalism? Well, I think we already are. We weren't afraid to talk about The Last of Us. That already tells you we don't give a shit anymore. (laughs) talk about with how polarizing the discussions are. But he says, I have many more questions, but yeah. So I guess specifically, what do you think of the state of tech journalism right now? Because we talked about that a decent amount offline, actually.
1: We did. And I think it's, again, I think it's better. I think it's mixed. I think there's there's, there's, there's pluses and minuses to do with tech journalism now. And I think that we've got a much better method of delivering content now. I think YouTube, the internet, I think that makes information more concise more informative and quicker to the market you can it's very hard now if you spend a little bit of time just looking on the internet and you've got to sometimes sift through it but you can then generally find what you're looking for so if you're looking mm-hmm. for a graphics card you could go on and check out a few youtubers or a few channels and see where it sits in the pecking order of performance and look at the values and find out some good prices and all that wasn't possible before and i think that there's a lot of comparison places now that do excellent work on you know comparing GPUs. I think. Um, Game Game Gamers Nexus, I've, is Gamers? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he's really good. I think Gamers Nexus is a really mm-hmm. good
0: channel because, and you can tell he's always honest too. Like that, he just has enough of a Patreon subscription base that he can just buy ten of the same card himself and be honest about if it's good or not.
1: Yeah, and I think that's great. And I, and I think he's also got a very concise number. You know, it, show the numbers kind of process, and I like that. And I think that's what's good. I think that's what's really good about the the tech YouTube or the tech press now generally is there's a lot of information. There's a lot of people showing it and you can get a lot of comparisons, even if you don't take what they're saying on face value, which is the other part that's bad, which is Mm. sometimes the marketing power and the the power of influence that comes, the influencers as they're called or we're called or wherever you thought, I don't know how it all works, but how influencers work now that that can sometimes be as damaging to a big marketing push from a massive corporation because you can almost blanket push out a subject matter with enough people Mm -hmm. that are popular on the internet and it becomes fact astroturfing absolutely yeah yeah. and and i think that's that's the one negative i would take there's not Mm -hmm. enough independence there's not enough companies that and it's not always their fault you know they have high overheads they have to keep the the boss happy they have to pay for their you know 30 people working in an office and a building somewhere and all that kind of overhead and i think that's that's where i i quite like some of the smaller YouTubers and some of the more independent ones, because you can trust them more. But whenever they do sponsored content or whether they get loads of stuff from other people, <laughs> or whatever, it, it it always draws a line. There's nothing wrong with sponsored content so long as it's limited and it's not really in the market you you delve into. So right, it, it's like it's yeah. like it's like having a, a, a Top Gear for a British example car reviewing site being sponsored by Ferrari, and then on that same right. show they have a Ferrari against a Porsche.
0: Especially, yeah, when the Ferrari shows up, right? Because I know um, talking to people who worked at IGN that they specifically tried to keep the marketing team separate. And they, I think it was the game Naughty Bear. They literally had a game. They gave a four out of 10, pay for (laughs) a bunch of marketing on the website right when the review came out. And I guess that proves that they kept the marketing team separate from the review team. Yeah, exactly. But And when you do stuff like that, that's fine. You know, that's fine. But I think too, all too often, like you're saying, you're seeing you're seeing these sponsorships that aren't public, and then they'll just put like, well, they'll, they'll say RTX instead of ray tracing over and over for some weird reason, or they'll keep an Xbox or a PlayStation in the background specifically, and they never touch on it. And it's a video about an AMD graphics card, but they've got you know this in the background over here, and it's just like it's that type of marketing that I think is. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, at a certain point, you could argue people, and I think a lot of people that take those deals from NVIDIA and stuff just tell themselves, well, it's up to other people to be smart enough to not notice it. But yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's a new problem for sure, I think. It,
1: it is. And sure. I think uh, NVIDIA had that, that hoo ha a couple of years ago where they, they had quite an aggressive method of marketing in terms of you have to sign a certain contract before they'd let you mm-hmm. review their product. And I think that's crappy. That's just a mm-hmm. crappy thing to do. You should, any company should what, should welcome. Criticism, because const- constructive criticism is vital to anything. And I, if you suppress that, and you just you surround yourself by an echo chamber or yes men, then and I've, I've worked for people that did that. So okay. <laughs> first hand, but oh, we I, yeah, we all have. Digressing a little, <laughs> but it, it's it's difficult to really improve or understand your flaws, and everyone has them uh, if you don't listen to your critics. And sometimes the critics are more important than your your champions. You need both. But I think right. that, that's and
0: that's you don't one... Want to listen to the critics too much, I suppose. Yeah,
1: yeah, because, I mean, you know, that games development is a good example of that. Everyone will tell you, don't make a game this way, do it this way. And if you did that, you'd never make the game because you'd just make a game that doesn't mm-hmm. fit anyone's market. But I think tech journalism is much, much better in terms of the information. But for me, the one thing I think it needs to improve on over above anything else I've just mentioned is it needs to be data-driven more. Um, mm. And that's what I always try and do. And it's one of the big reasons I started my channel was because... It... <laughs> And and PC gamers do this sometimes as well. For this. when they do um, analysis of games, they give you a frame rate and you know a high and average. What bit did you test? What section of the game mm. were, you, were you showing? What where was it? What were you doing? What was the settings? What? So there's so many variables there that, and if you're comparing a, a two graphics cards that are within 10 percent of each other, that's really margin of error stuff. Yeah. So so it, were you looking at the same point? Was it just a benchmark so it's completely fixed? It, it, all those kind of variables come in. So I think people need to show more of the content they're testing and prove the data and the methodology, which I always try and do. And I don't always get it right. And I'll try and work on it. But a lot of that is my time. But I think that's where tech needs to improve. Be more data driven and not emotive driven. Mm -hmm. Because I think emotions get in the way of everything. It's always nice. You know, unboxings, I hate unboxings, but that they are they are literally an emotive thing, aren't they? In boxings. They're like, look at this yeah. brand spanking new shiny thing. Yeah, he, it's
0: almost there to make people who have ordered something get excited before it arrives at their door.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then you just get that whole you convince yourself it's the best thing, Emperor's new clothes and all that. It's the best, it's the best gown I've ever seen. And that that's where I think tech journalism could improve. More, more actual tech. And I think you touched on this at the start. So so people like you that have an education in the background they understand it or they at least do some research to get an understanding We can't all get it right but there's some popular tra- i mean ign are a good example they do no effort at all they, you know uh, they,
0: they'll, they'll talk about clear that i think they used to be much better than they are now not not to throw them under a bus i don't know maybe someone at ign hears that and there are still plenty of good writers there but i do think that uh I mean, I, I, to be honest, if we're, if I'm being completely honest, I think a lot of the big tech and uh, video game review websites are kind of being completely um, eliminated by independent YouTubers and smaller channels that can, that you just, you know, at least you're getting an honest opinion, even if he's an idiot, even if you don't agree with him, at least it's an honest opinion and it's a consistent opinion from the same person. I think, yeah, I, I, (laughs) I definitely think that their quality has been going down pretty much linearly for Many years.
1: And I think that's, that's again, that's about investment. If, if there's no revenue there from advertising and views, then there's no investment. You'll lose good talent. And I think that the audience generally, and, and this is also the other part of tech journalism, is the tech audience is far more informed. It mm-hmm. doesn't take them long to know if you're talking out of your ear end or you're being honest and giving them the true facts. And I think that's what you should never do. You should never treat your audience as stupid or inferior. You mm. treat them as intelligent as they are because a lot of them are very intelligent. And I think that's that's good because I get a lot of developers that have spoken to me. I get a lot of people that work for big companies that have spoken to me, both from my work and from my YouTube channel because they come in and they can see that you talk about a subject. I might be right. I might be wrong. They might say something that I didn't know. They might give me information about something that I wasn't aware of. Or they might just go, that was a great video. You were bang on. You won't know. It. And you get into discussion. And I think that's what's good about the tech journalism as we see it now, because there's, it's so open to the industry and the audience that's never been there before. Years ago, you mm. bought a magazine every month and you read the magazine and that was it. You waited 30 days for the next one. Whereas now, you can. people are literally hanging around. You probably get this more because you're obviously more popular than me, but you get a lot of people desperate for your next video. They'll mm. literally go on it. And I get a lot of people that are really happy when I upload a video. And it's really nice and it's heartwarming to see that. And that's because I think that People connect better with YouTubers and individuals than they do a a massive corporation where it's just written in a magazine. And I think that's what's good about tech
0: journalism now. But I think it's getting better, right? That's what I would say is I think there is actually probably a dip in quality with tech journalism about five years ago. But I think right about now, it actually is improving and it could get better than it's ever been before in a few years, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think that's by and large because there's competition and that's what makes it good there's a lot of people doing the same thing. And I think that improves the quality. If you, if you expand the gene pool, so to speak, then you improve the quality that comes out of it. And I think there's more people doing the same thing. But more importantly, there's more people talking about separate subjects that come together. And there's a lot of crossover now. There's a lot of discussions about the same points. And I think that really helps people understand. I just, like I say, I just wish that some people would spend more time talking about the data, more and less about the subjective stuff. Know, like it looks great that's great and mm-hmm. all and 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 i do that with my and um attention to detail videos but i always try and mix that up with the it's great because of rather than it's great and then people are happy to disagree but a lot yeah, of absolutely. a lot of reviews i see it, it you can spend 10 minutes talking about what's nice about the car i mean i've seen this all the time when people go you know look at look at the led lights on it look at the curve look at the fans and it's all great and all but within 10 minutes it's in your pc you're not gonna look at it again so I'd I'd rather spend 10 minutes at the end doing that than 10 minutes at the start. But that's just me, personally. I understand
0: that I'm not everyone. Let me... I want to start transitioning more than, though, into the consoles, as there's actually quite a bit to discuss if we can. So... Safe to say, I'm not a morning person. Most days I try to sleep in as much as possible. Still, sometimes I just need to get up early, whether for a conference call or just simply to get a video done on time. When I do this, great coffee definitely helps, especially when it doesn't skimp on the caffeine and it actually is priced reasonably like it is at thehenma.com where you can choose between delicious flavors like highlander grog and chocolate raspberry and you know what unlike most artisanal coffee i've tried it actually wakes you up and it tastes great the h-e-n-d-m-a dot com use offer code moore's law that's m-o-o-r-e-s-l-a-w to get 10 percent off right now your coffee orders and do make sure you use these guys if you need coffee because coffee is their passion and right now this is a side hustle they're trying to grow into a bigger business out of norman oklahoma they could use your help if you could use a good cup of coffee for my new benchmarking station, I did use a legitimate key of Windows 10 Professional, and that's because it's just not expensive if you go to CDK Offers. They did sponsor me to say this, but I used their website, and it works well. They have great customer support, and if you use offer code BROKENSILICON, you'll get 25% off Windows software, and Shrink gets you 3% off all software on the website including game codes i will reiterate it was really easy for me to actually set up an account on this website search for windows buy the code using whatever payment method i wanted and they do have several options and then i simply got sent the authentic key and downloaded windows 10 from microsoft's website save yourself some money to get more bones for your dog and don't stress yourself out using illegitimate keys these are real keys and they did sponsor this part of the video so one more time that's cdkoffers.com use die shrink for three percent off all software on the website including steam games and broken silicon for 25 percent off software all right now let's get to the benchmark I guess let me, you know, this is probably a good jumping off point here. And Keith writes in and says, what happened to the mic drop moments that were supposed to be there for the Xbox Series X Games Showcase? So specifically, I've talked about this too, except what I heard from people was the mic drop moments were supposed to be in August for the most part, especially earlier to right before the show happened. More people told me, no, no, no. August is supposed to be where all the mic drops are. Um, I don't know do you have any opinions on that did you expect there to be more bombshells from the games showcased in July from Xbox I did yeah I did I I expected there to be more gameplay I'll be honest Mm -hmm. that that was my big takeaway
1: Um, I've just recently put a video up on that I I recorded it on the weekend but yeah they I think they've been affected by the whole um, COVID-19 stuff but but realistically, I think it's it's all again back down to bad bad planning. Um, they they kind of again they missed the boat, and I was a little disappointed because I thought that they would show off more of some of the games they had. So I, I really expected Forza to be shown. I did. I expected mm. that to physically be shown as a as a gameplay. Yeah, demo. you
0: know, you're right. I, I haven't thought about that, but I think that's like a no brainer to show that gameplay because personally, I expect the next Forza to look almost photorealistic. Mm. Based on previous ones, yeah, and I, I think that
1: what's what's evident across the board is they're not they're behind the curve. So whatever happened, there's been some rumblings that you know, and I've spoken to a few people, but nothing concrete. But there's always these these noises that mm-hmm. they've had some problems in development in some of their studios. So huh. a lot a lot of re- recreating engines, updating engines, again, like I said, are all about investment, and I think certain franchises get more investment than others. And I think that Forza was a shock. I, I, I expected to see it. And what we saw wasn't really anything but, you know, a demo, basically, a, a graphical mm-hmm. demo. Halo, I've, I've discussed that on my, on my video, but Halo
0: was just... I, I think we do have to talk about Halo a little bit, right? Yeah, know, well, I, yeah. So my initial reaction, and I watched it live, and as I said in my last video, I knew I was going to do some video on the day of the Xbox showcase so I just knew something would happen that changes my opinion or there'd be some bombshell, something. And it ended up mostly being about PlayStation, unfortunately. But that Halo demo, I didn't actually think that badly of it at first because I wasn't paying that much attention, right? I was writing down notes while watching it, and I'm like, yep, looks like another Halo game. I mean, I'll just be honest to people, full disclosure, I think the last great Halo was Halo 2. And I think Halo 2 is a classic. I just replayed it with my brother again. Um, And so what I saw, I was like, yeah, it looks more like some of the recent Halos, you know, whatever. But then I saw the outrage and I'm like, oh, why are people mad? And I rewatched it more closely. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is pretty bad. You know, this is and and, and I want to be clear about this, guys. I'm not really Xbox did this themselves. They made the entire argument that their console is going to be the most powerful from the beginning. This was their argument Sony wasn't the one saying that. This was their argument. And so they lead, and then, and everyone, you know, pretty much thought that the initial quote-unquote gameplay reveal, which really didn't have any gameplay, was underwhelming. So they set the stage for people to be very judgmental about whatever they showed first, and they chose to show this demo that... And and I mean, there was, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Cherno. He has a YouTube video, but he usually has pretty positive reactions to new gameplay. You know, he's someone who builds game engines. And so getting his opinion on what he sees, and he was like, honestly, I can't believe I'm saying this. This looks like a current gen game. I don't understand. And I agree. I don't understand. You know, they said they have the strongest console. They were the ones who set expectations high by saying, oh, this time it is going to be about the games. And what they showed looked like a current gen game. And when your entire argument is you have more performance, that's pretty damning. Um, absolutely. And I think you're right. You're absolutely right. They they set themselves up
1: for their own fall. And, and that's the problem. Pride becomes before a fall. And they went into this literally bigging up about how much power is important, about how much... I mean, they said it in the video, and they said it before, that this has been the ground up made for Series X. And it can't be. It's impossible.
0: Because... I agree that there's no way this was built on Series X first. There's no way. Well, it's not running on it. (laughs) It's running on a PC. Because, I I mean, like, guys, and, and I think people watched my recent video that touched on, like, PlayStation leaks, and it's like, guys, at no point in that video was I saying the PlayStation was stronger. I'm just saying it's far more capable based on everyone I talk to than what a lot of people are acting like. And I'm not saying the Xbox Series X is weak. And what they showed with that Halo demo the Series X, I know is more capable than that, so I don't get it. And that brings us back to the
1: subject mentioned at the start, which is you can't use software to identify a piece of hardware, specifically when it's not running on the hardware. Now, I said it in my video, and I stand by and I'm, I've had a lot of people say they want me to do a video, so if anyone's watching this, I will be doing a video discussing <laughs> Halo, but It's all about the engine. I said that in the video, and it's not about the engine per se. It's about the limitations that the engine gives them. And I Mm -hmm. said it in the video, and I'll say it now. I think there's been some issues in that development. Mismanagement, technical issues, problems with the engine. Maybe they're going to go with another engine. Um, I've heard all kinds of stuff that 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 was one of the problem studios that they've had problems with in terms of getting the game out the door. But Halo isn't the franchise it used to be. It's not as big Mm -hmm. as Halo used to be. And I think it's been sold as the hook for Game Pass. And the problem mm-hmm. that that Microsoft have got is you know, the, the, the argument you want to put forward, and this, this is the only bad thing you can say, really, is if that was the best game they could show, then it's doomed. And if yeah. it, it was...
0: I'm not going to say that openly, but a lot of people are. And it's like, I don't mean, I don't yeah, mean the console. Because no, I, I don't want, because I know this is where they just say we're both PlayStation fanboys and this and this and this. And it's like, no, I'm not. And yes, I know we talked about The Last of Us for 10 minutes, so you can probably use that as a bludgeon that we're <laughs> secret fanboys, but we're not. You know, we just like good games. Like I've said, I've been playing Halo more than any PlayStation game race in the past month. I've been playing all of the Master Chief collection with my brother. So I wanted it to be good, but it just wasn't. And the defenses I've seen of it are just. It's it's indefensible, right? I don't know. Like we can debate what caused it, but what they showed was bad. If that was the best gameplay they could show,
1: then they've got a bigger problem for launch than than even I thought they have, because that's yeah, not a I good agree. that that's that's the issue. The second issue is if if they'd spent a little bit of time and not hyped it up as much as they had, because I think they had to. And it, this is the disconnect. Bring us back to the mission statement, which is you have to know. What you're doing, are all aspects of your business, you can't you can't write checks that your ass can't cash, as the saying goes. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to preach about technology and hardware and the most powerful content on the market and how you know you you felt comfortable, you've got to back it up. And either you either you you don't check, or people were lying to you. There's, there's, there's no other way around it. Somebody was yeah. was misinforming him of the quality of where they were, or he wasn't doing his due diligence. I'm going in and saying, and this is Phil Spencer I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he is a great frontman for the band. That's how I see him. He's mm-hmm. great.
0: Much but, better than the previous ones, for uh, sure.
1: Absolutely. And I think he's got, he's got a good head for business, but I think he needs to just pull some of his PR. To- he, he, he plays boardroom bingo, as I call it, a little bit too much. And, he, I mean, the, the ground up, I've heard it multiple times from them. So I think Halo was a bad showing. For various reasons, just a bad showing, and it should never have been shown. It just looks dated, you're right. It looks like a last-gen game. Um, but they could have done so much better. They could have showed off the updated Gears 5 with all the additional features running at 60 mm, FPS oh, 4K. That would have been a good That one, would have yeah. been a much better demonstration. Some of the latest um, sections with storms and snow, and that would have been really impressive, mm-hmm. and not worry about spoilers. Then they could have brought in things like Dirt 5 running at 120 FPS on the Series X you know, whatever resolution. 14, yeah, I 43. thought they would. I yeah. thought they were
0: going to, actually. And,
1: and they showed off Ori. And, you know not get or me Ori is a beautiful looking game, absolutely beautiful, but it's the wrong game to show off at 120
0: FPS. Yeah, no got, one's surprised that one can run at 120.
1: Yeah, and it, again, it just looks like mishandling of the message, and that's just because they've not got a cohesive loads of people pulling together to say this is the portfolio that we've curated to push out to market. They've mm-hmm. just haphazardly gone, what have we got to show? We've got a couple of games, stick it out. They should have made more of a song and dance about the medium. Great looking game. Superb gameplay. Silent Hill vibes. Gonna sell popular. Those Mm -hmm. kind of games really sell at launch and they should have pushed that forward. I think it was, again, their problem seems to be they they have a great product in the Series X. They have a great message, a a great process in Game Pass, but they've just fumbled it again at the last minute. And they really did such a good job, I think, over the Christmas period. In the beginning. Yeah. they They were
0: doing fantastic. I mean, I was like, oh, wow. Sony's going to have some real competition. Look, even if you're a PlayStation fanboy, the more competition Sony has, by far the better. I mean, look at what 360 forced Sony to do with their online infrastructure and overhauling everything. I mean, you should want, well, really, you should want every one of these companies to make a good product because that's only going to mean good things for you. But a few, the few last things I want to say about that Halo demo is like, number one, the biggest problem I have is that they decided to show it. Everyone's making excuses. The thing that's weird is they actually decided to open with that, and it was not impressive. And it was, and I'm sorry, guys. I think, I think it was obviously not impressive. On, I really do. And it's not that the game itself that bothers me, but the fact that they themselves didn't seem to understand that, and that their defenses right now, and again, guys, I'm just like like the Reader Mail asked. I'm no bullshit. Their defenses of it don't make any sense. They said it's an early build of the game. No, it can't be because all demos are like a slice they take out and then polish it to show off. So this is no different than before or that they still have a lot of polishing to do. I thought this was a launch game, was it not? So this is coming out in like four months. No, I don't think you have much more polishing to do. I think this is the game. Uh, and if it's not, it needs to be delayed and just say it needs to be delayed, Like, which would actually, which would also look terrible um, if they delayed this after the backlash. I, but it's better than releasing it. And, and actually, the final thing I want to say, too, is something my brother Dan, who's co-host of every other episode, brought up. And he says, specifically, Dan says, what happened to all of the skeptical and pessimistic gamers? Usually what happens, like with Watch Dogs or Killzone or something else, is people say the final game won't look as good as the demo. How all of the sudden is everyone so sure the final game will look better than the demo? If you're saying you're sure this will look better than what they showed, and you gave Killzone or Watchdogs or a lot of—I mean, I can—the list goes on and on. Battlefield, all these other games, shit. For there's no way they're going to look that good. Or Battlefront was a huge one. Like there's no way Battlefront will look as good as that gameplay, and I think it did. Then why all of a sudden are you so sure Halo will look better? Because you're being—you're giving them some insane leeway by assuming it's going to look better when at most games people say, oh, there's no way it'll look as good as the bull shots.
1: It's almost counterproductive, isn't it, at the moment? If, if, somebody, if everybody loves something, there'll be a, a good portion of people that hate it. Everybody hates
0: it. Which is what we've discussed, yeah. Yeah,
1: then everyone starts to go, oh, actually, I feel quite sorry for it. So I think it's almost a case of... And I do generally feel sorry for the team that makes these games. It's always hard to talk about something that, that's a product of somebody's love and labour. But I think that that's, that's the problem with Halo. It doesn't look like it's had that much love and labour that it deserves. And I think that mm. if, they, if they need the, the public... To tell them that looked bad then they're either disconnected from their own market bigger than they thought or they're not mm-hmm. listening to some of the feedback they're getting internally and that's that could, both those statements could be true um but it's it's really about the fact that because it's now been delivered on that level and it doesn't look that impressive no one's really got a problem with it looking like that or better because it's almost it's confirmation bias isn't it yeah, that's what it that's what you see you're mm-hmm. seeing I don't like that console, so therefore that game will never look like that. I hate PC. There's no way that PC game can ever look anything like that. It's rubbish, it's fake. And then now it will be a case of, it can't possibly be that bad. It must be the fact that it's an old build. And the old build one comes out all the time. It's it's an easy one to pull out of the bag. But irrespective, even if it is an old build, let's say it's three months old, which which could be true, maybe, possibly, two months old, I don't know. But it's not (sighs) going to change that drastically. And secondly... It brings it's you back to, out
0: soon, guys. Yeah, it's it brings
1: of, you back. It's, you're still four or five months from launch going gold, whatever. But it also brings you back to the point of even if it was, somebody somewhere should have said, you know what, then it's not ready. What, what else yeah. have we got to show? Because, they, you know, they could have opened with a completely path traced 60 FPS version of Minecraft, for example. They could have opened with, yeah. you know, Gears 5, like I said. There's so many options they could have picked. I mean, why the hell didn't they show Crossfire X as the opening single player remedy? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, there's it's as if the company is run by people who don't play a game.
0: That's what it looks like. I would have, I mean, and it is though. I mean, can we just say it? I mean, that's what it comes down to. And it's always this thing that I've talked about with my friends. Like Microsoft needs to decide what the soul of Xbox is. And it seems like at the start of every gen, besides the three sixty, they're not sure. And it, and, and I would argue I almost thought that's what was going on with PS5. And maybe I still do because their early messaging was bizarre as well, honestly. Um, and, and actually, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, just to like touch on something you said, I think, I think Xbox got a lot of things right and knew what they were doing when they went into this gen. The early messaging was great. Sony completely fumbled the ball with their early messaging. Again, like I I could, I've talked about it on Broken Silicon. Like, I don't even understand what they were doing with some of the stuff they were talking about. Like, they're literally their own worst enemy when they first started talking about PS5. And then I think they just went dark and got quiet. And then I think Xbox got cocky again. And I don't know why Xbox seems to get cocky at the start of every generation. They just keep doing it. And if you get cocky, it's like, Look, I mean, like I think a fourth of Sony's revenue comes from PlayStation. If it failed, they could go bankrupt. (laughs) Like, like it's like Nintendo. No matter what you say about Nintendo or Sony, they need every launch to go well. They need it to.
1: Nintendo are exceptional. Just touch on for a minute. I mean, Nintendo know the quality and the. the the impact of their ip look at how they treated their retro consoles and look at how sony mm-hmm. did that that was a, oh, yeah. that so, was a massive fumble i not want to
0: get into their playstation classic it was
1: absolute disaster. yeah just rubbish just disaster so and i think yeah I, I agree with you i think sony's messaging this this generation was was poor and it was it was mishandled and i think from from the point of revealing the the logo where it got so many likes, and I was just like, seriously, it's PS five. What the hell? Why does anyone care? <laughs> yeah. But they 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 got the road to PS five right. I think they did that right. Even though it was targeted at developers, I think it was more it was more of a tang towards going out to public. I think audience. it
0: was a good presentation to definitely not be the first thing. And there were a few things they talk about in there, like, I don't want to get into yeah, it and yeah, talked yeah, about yeah. it too much. There are some terms they use that made them look weaker than they were, but
1: but I think that's, that's again, you've got to give Mark Cerny credit because he is not a marketer. He's not there to sell no. you a product. And I think that's that's the main benefit. And I think that's where Microsoft, like you say, they they did exceptional build-up to generation. And don't get me wrong. I think collectively they're still doing an exceptionally good job. Their hardware's great. They've delivered a, a superb product. We are not probably dig into the hardware too much, but they're doing a good job of marketing the hardware with the differences that it's got. And I've talked about this mm-hmm. before, and I know you have as well. But the, it's all about the software, and I think this is what happens every generation. We always have this argument about the most powerful console wins. That's almost never true.
0: That's never almost true. never true. Like I, I honestly, like I like put a, fa- a palm over my face every time I hear that. I'm like, that's never been true. Like literally, like almost, like li- almost literally ever. Yeah, it's never been yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and I think that's what
1: Microsoft have kind of believed their own hype because. When they started yes. touting t- 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 teraflops and power and, and I think it worked with the Xbox One X. I think the Xbox One X became a good win for them because it changed the mindset of Xbox. It removed the bad taste of Xbox One and it was now the most powerful mm-hmm. console on the market. But that's about you feeling good. It's not about your, your audience feeling good. It doesn't matter the, whether the, or the,
0: not. And, the, and, you know, the Xbox One X didn't gain them sales. Their sales oh, continue God, to yeah, decline. Yeah. So I don't know where this cockiness comes from. Because it, it,
1: if you listen, again, it brings us back to, if you listen to the yep. echo chamber you surround yourself with, that everyone will tell you, if you only go on tech sites, like, you know, like, like myself, and I try and balance it as much as I can, but you're always going to lose the plot a little bit. You have to have a, a, a dissection of the audience. So if you, if, if you only buy a console to worry about how many teraflops it's got, then you, you're buying it for mm-hmm. the wrong reasons. That's, that's what PCs exist for. Because you can sit at a PC and say, I've got 24 teraflops. Great. it's Not doing anything, it but it's there. And if I want to use it. And I think the Xbox have kind of they've they've come to the party with a great machine, but they've not quite got the software to run on it yet, and that's what's let them down. But that's always been their problem. They did the same thing in on Xbox One. The Xbox One wasn't fundamentally, to its very core, a terrible system. If the PS4 never launched, it would have been great. The same as the Sega Saturn. For sure. Sega Saturn, everyone says terrible system. Had the PlayStation One never come around, the Saturn would have been an absolute bomb. It would have it would have blew everyone away. But it was up, it, but it was up, it was up against PlayStation, so the PlayStation mm. was just a million miles better. Not because it was more powerful, but because it was easy to develop for. It had better support. It had better software libraries. That's what right. my, that's what Microsoft lacked at Xbox One. They're lacking it again here. They're not I,
0: ready. I actually want to drill yeah. specifically into that point because I think people get obsessed with the word powerful. And they missed the point that it's not about having one number the biggest or even two. It's about targeting the right technology for the time to make it make better games. And I I think um, a funny example, which I was just talking about with some friends this weekend, was like how imagine how hard it was to compare older consoles to each other like the n64 to the playstation one because you literally have a situation where the n64 is fundamentally absurdly better at processing geometry polygons but also i think its cartridge was limited to like 50 megabytes or something and so you have this situation where the playstation one has a woefully weaker processor, but it can fit games that are a gigabyte versus games that are 50 megabytes. And like that type of competition was just weird. I mean, you had games that were like, it was a lot of games that you just can't make on the other one. And then you can like, and and I think they just got obsessed with, like, imagine if last gen, all people argued about Was the fact that the Xbox One's processor was clocked, I don't know, seven, 9% faster. And like all we did is say that and talk about that. It didn't really help them that much, guys. And And Sony targeted a lot of fast RAM and compute capabilities. And that was the thing to target back then because CPUs were kind of more powerful than they needed to be. Now we needed to be able to do all these things in the GPU. Well, we've done that. So it just like you shouldn't obsess with the CPU and the Xbox One being 9% faster than the PlayStation 4, I would really, really advise you don't obsess with 18% more teraflops because <laughs> 18% is not a big number. And Sony decided how much teraflops, and after that, we're going to work on completely removing the concept of storage holding things back. And there's a bunch of other stuff too. But like, when I think that you just keep seeing this obsession sometimes with one Feature when it's about targeting the right technology, not just getting one number to be the biggest. And I don't know how to convey that to people, except that I think you're starting to see it finally play out where the game's graphics are just going to do the talking.
1: And I think that's the, the, that and the gameplay and the interaction with the world. But I think it's, you hit down the head. It's all, it's not about power, it's about ease of use. So anyone who rides motorcycles out there will understand this reference. But if you've ever, I have one, yeah. Well, if you've ever ridden a Suzuki TL1000, so it's old, it's a, Relatively old bike, TL1000. Great bike, really powerful, okay? Mm-hmm. Terrible bike to ride. Horrific frame. <laughs> Terrible chassis. There's
0: another one, too. I don't know if it's the Hayabusa. I'm trying to remember. There's this one motorcycle that's like the fastest. Is it,
1: you mean the, there's the the older Kawasaki ZX-10?
0: I, I don't remember, honestly. I know it's like the fastest bike on earth, but everyone said, oh, maybe just get one of the sports Honda's because you'll actually be able to sit on it for a few hours without hurting your ass or something. Yeah, the
1: the TL1000 is a great bike, really powerful, 130 brake, 40 brake horsepower, whatever it was back then, whatever. Um, It was horrible to ride. It it was well known Mm -hmm. as a widow maker because it used to tank slap all the time. So that's when the handlebars go lock to lock, side to side. And...
0: Oh my God, that's...
1: <laughs> I've ridden one. I've ridden one and had a tank slapper on it and it's a horrible bike to ride and it's it needs a steering damper and it, it's got a really bad rear end and it's so saggy and the front's too firm and it just, it, it waggles its head everywhere and it wheelies and it's just uncontrollable. But it's really powerful. For the time, it was incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. But it's, un, it's unwieldy. So no one can go fast on it. Most people can go faster on a 500cc and just stream bit past you because they could ride sure. it there. And I think that analogy works with hardware. It, there's no point making superbly powerful hardware. It's good, you need it, that's right, but you need to make it easy to get to that power and easy to, you know, the whole time to triangle and all that kind of stuff. But it's about the tools. People don't understand that pipelines development, it's about minimizing the effort, so procedural placement, procedural generations, using Quixel Textile systems to bring that into your system, have a a pipeline where you can farm off the work to multiple teams so that they can merge together. It's all about that, and I think that's what Sony did with the PlayStation 1 and that's that's the vibe i'm getting with the ps5 they're going back to that whole we are trying to make your development journey easy and mm-hmm. then you you can be creative because if you have the ability to create what you want quickly you spend less time optimizing and you spend more and time delivering yeah yeah
0: you know, or even just doing these tests where they're like how many you know what's our frame time going to be if we try to add this and they'll waste a month just Screwing around with what they're even capable of doing. I mean, I remember what uh, Naughty Dog once talked about this scene in The Last of Us Part One, where they're like, uh, (laughs) where they're like, we we were walking, and I turn a corner in this alley, and the frame rate would be cut in half. And we realized if we put this couch in this position, it would crush our frame rate for some reason. And so we had to remove that couch. And like, if you can like minimize the amount of silly things you need to do like that, where like the engine itself can downscale polygons and stuff at certain distances for you. You could cut de- development times in half, which I've actually had several developers reach out to me and say a story no one's talking about is that the PS5 is built to not take as long to make games on, that you can just throw stuff on it and it runs. And that And Sony is trying to get back to a two to three year dev cycle and get away from the chances of there being these just ridiculous four to five year dev cycles. And,
1: and I think that is a big push and, and there would be crazy not to do it. And I think everyone understands that. That's one of the things that, the industry needs to sort out. It's not sustainable to keep making games that take twenty thousand people five years and and then sell six million copies. If you do really really well, that's not that's not a sustainable marketplace, or it's a very limited marketplace. You have a Hollywood of video games, and I think that having a system that allows AAA companies and I hate that terminology, but big studios mm-hmm. to make huge blockbuster style games, whatever they might be, whatever their theme might be, whatever their style might be, that are huge budget games with lots of interaction, lots of cinematography and lots of scale and and materials and uh, and all that kind of good stuff is great. But it's also important that you sustain that with having a good development environment that means even a small, independent, single man or woman can come in, Mm -hmm. make a game and it looks good, it plays good, it runs well and it ships on your console. That's what keeps the underbelly of the system running. It's not the AAA market is the market in terms, but the indie developers are the ones that really keep the, the system afloat most of the year because there's only <clears> so <throat> many big titles you, can and, get. you know, I
0: think Sony kind of lost a lot of indie developers, I've been told, at the last half of this generation. I've actually been told that Sony has been neglecting indie devs massively. Absolutely,
1: because I think they've been... that Indie developers are the risk. So you, you got to look at it this way, and this this is a very... It's not meant to be sound negative, but indie developers are the ones at risk because it's very hard to hold an indie developer yeah. to an NDA, but it's very easy to hold a massive corporation to an NDA when you give them development kits or let them have access to hardware way before anyone else has seen it. And I think that that's probably why, and that's bad. So Sony's messaging needs to be consistent, but they'll embrace indies again at the start of a generation because they have to. And I think that's where ID Xbox has been very, very good. Because, mm-hmm. you know, anyone can jump in and develop and you start for a few clauses and away you go make a game. And I think that's what Microsoft have really worked on to try and open up their environment. But having a system that doesn't work well from day one for your development team means you're going to struggle to ship games on it. And I think that's what mm-hmm. Sony have always taken to heart and worked well on. And I've heard only only for the PS3. <laughs> Well, that was uh, Ken Kutaragi's kind of um, weird situation of wanting to be... It's a very Japanese style where you want it to be as complicated as you can because that's kind of a a showing of of brains or power. And yeah, Mm the PS3 was a massive, massive misstep. In some ways, it was ahead of its time. Um, But yeah, generally, it it was a bit of a disaster. But it would be good to see... Sony and Microsoft head to head again in terms of triple A high quality games. Back when the Xbox 360 was around, and we, and you had things yes. like Uncharted going against Gears. That that's what that's I missed.
0: All of the innovation, man. Yeah, that it, really, it was, like, yeah. I think people miss that too. Like is and and and, and to be honest, I think that is what's going to happen. Actually, let me transition into this reader mail here. So Vi Pass writes in, and he says, NX Gamer, in your video about the Xbox Series S holding back next gen games, uh, and decided not to, but." All right, I'm getting a little jumbled here. Is what about the Xbox? Oh, so I think he's saying you said you don't think the Xbox Series S will actually hold back the X is That's what right. Saying. I did. He's right. And, and he's saying, but what about the Xbox One S? Could that hold back game development? Um, because it doesn't have the I/O, the hard, you know, it still has a hard drive and I actually want to discuss that a little bit because I, I think there's a lot of evidence that potentially that Halo demo wasn't as impressive as it could have been because it has to work on the original. I was Xbox just about to X. say that that the answer to
1: his question is absolutely
0: yes. The Xbox One X will hold it back
1: as well. And that, that really comes down to the fact that it's limited to a hard drive. That's probably not its biggest issue because you can work around that and there's ways around that. But the CPU and the bandwidth <laughs> are, are the biggest limitation because... Mm-hmm. That's a, you. You know this very well. That's a huge improvement on all these systems, and that's yeah. why that's why the Series S or the Lockhart or whatever that won't hold it back because it's scalable. My
0: understanding is it should have literally the same I/O and system RAM, but that they're just going to scale down the video memory and the graphics card. It, and I think it could work. I think it could literally just be a 1080p Series X.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a video on it where I tested it theoretically against that kind of four and a half teraflop performance with the relevant hardware on a. Uh, an RX 5500 50, yeah fifty five hundred XT and a mm-hmm. fifty six hundred downclocked and it, it can still run some games at fourteen forty p and dynamic resolution sorts that all out so yeah and you've now got options where you can have dynamic resolution you can have checkerboard rendering you can have reconstruction TAA you can have all these different options to get to a level DLSS is obviously an option but not for AMD cards but it's there's so many options that makes the series S literally a ten eighty p as you say ten eighty p focused machine that would be almost practically identical to whatever the Series X will truck out. It might have some cutbacks in ray tracing, but let's be honest, if you're buying the Series S, you're probably not worried about the best quality reflections. Um, I I don't think it will at all hold it back, and I'll stick to my my Uh, view. At
0: least least for the first half of the gen, I don't don't think so at all either. I think literally, I, I mean, if you want to compare it to the PlayStation, I mean, that's a whole other discussion, but I think anything running in 4K on the xbox series x if it has literally the same ssd and io and cpu there's there's absolutely no reason it can't just run in 1080p on the series s however and i was talking to dan about this last night (laughs) look i don't understand this keeping games running on the original xbox one mentality going on here because we're talking about something with a cpu at least 10 times weaker, especially when you consider the IO coprocessors in the Xbox that's offloading tasks. Like, we're talking about, you know, storage that's like 40 times worse. We're talking about a processor 10 times weaker. A graphics card that's weaker than my netbook in the Xbox One. Like, it, it, it's... I, there's no way they can scale it up. At a certain point, you can't scale across that much hardware. No. It's going gonna, it's gonna to limit games. The Xbox One
1: and the Xbox One X will limit games and i understand why they're doing it because of game pass because Mm -hmm. they've got they've got a 50 million or whatever the market is for xbox one out there they can't abandon them by saying Mm. you know you're no longer going to get any more new games on your console because then everyone's going to go well you know what then i'm not going to subscribe to game pass i'm out i'm going to go so that's the reason why they're doing it but there's got to come a point where they know it's not going to work and and I already know that developers have an option. They don't have to develop a game that runs both. So you've got two separate XEs. The Optimize for Series X is there as a marketplace. You've got this smart delivery, which is a PR term again to go here and the download. But no company can force any developer to say, do you know what? I have to make a game that runs on all machines. You only have to support the Series X. And that might mean I'm going to ship a game that's Xbox One and it will run in VC mode on the Series X. That's what I'm going to do. Or vice versa, like the media. I might just make it on Series X and not make it for last-generation consoles. Go for it. There's probably a subsidy in there because I think it's a time-limited exclusive, and it's going to come on PS5 and PC later, But or I think it'll come on PC on day one.
0: But I'm sure, yeah, it'll come to PC at the very least. It,
1: the the reality is, generations exist for a reason, specifically in consoles. And this is a generation for PC as well. You've got to understand that once you move away from no longer relying on a hard drive, a mechanical crappy hard drive, and you have moved to an SSD. Yes. And then you've got the DirectX uh, API update that's going to allow you to access and address that memory from your system. And you've got all the bottlenecks on PC in, ter- in terms of the PCI Express as well. So that's another element. And I know everyone will say, yeah, just more RAM. Well, you've already got games like um, Flight Simulator 2020, they're looking for 32 gigabytes on, on your PC's RAM. If you-, if you have to use an SSD on a PC game, that reduces the market even more because th- th- this is one of the misconceptions that the pc market isn't at the level everyone thinks it is that not everyone's sporting a 2080 ti or a 1080 right. Ti even you No, know,
0: most people have i mean i don't even know what it is right below a 970 or something you know yeah yeah and most a lot weaker actually and
1: and, and, and take an ssd into that and say do you know what now everyone's going to have an ssd and there's star star what's the name of it now the 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 game is never going to come out Star citizen yeah so that's (laughs) the only game that's that's you know dependent on an ssd in the pc market and it's still not out but that game or any game that's going to rely on that so unreal engine 5 is the big fear factor i think for pc gaming when once that lands in 2021 and developers start using it, and, and you've got games like Hellblade 2, which are moving to it, and many of the games are going to move to it, mm-hmm. and it's designed around an SSD and the IO throughputs of these systems, and more importantly, it's designed around addressable space and having geometry that can be streamed natively from the hard drive to the system and sampled, and basically virtualizing the, the geometry like we virtualize textures, then that means that you, you're cutting out probably 70% of the PC market. So... PC gamers are going to have to update their hardware, just like console gamers will. And I do like this. It's a myth, almost, that PCs don't have a generation, but they do. Because Yeah, they kind of do, really. It's easier because you can replace parts of your hardware, not the entire thing. But I think this is a generational shift for PC because graphics, not so much, because I think that but SSD is going to make a difference. And I think that that and the shift that Sony have made in other areas is is what will change the tide in terms of how games are developed. And I think that that's the most important part. But having your whole system tied to a, what will it be, eight-year-old hardware by the time it launches, that's not a good look. And that's why Sony have said generations exist and Microsoft right. has said they don't. And,
0: and, and I And I expect Sony to start playing that up more and more and more. You saw it when that, like, you know, <laughs> dual sense fluff piece with Jeff Keeley. Oh gosh! But, you
1: know, I didn't watch it, was, it. I didn't
0: watch it. It was I put it on in the background just because I thought I had to, but I really didn't. It was pretty. Yeah, I mean, as a fluff piece, but I mean, I'd say the interesting thing about it was near the end. The one thing I found interesting was how much Sony was playing up generations, and I think here's the thing: when I look at third party games, they're gonna use the Xbox Series X, but you know, the best looking games on any console are usually the first party studios games. They usually are. And if Microsoft is hell bent on making up most of their first party games also come out on Xbox one, those are supposed to be your best looking games and they might be completely hamstrung. So I don't know if you have any, (laughs) anything else. I think we've already probably discussed that, but I think that's, I just don't. Now I've said this in my uh, Discord before. I just don't get it. Is the Xbox Series X powerful or is it not? Because you keep saying it's going to be so powerful, the PlayStation can't compete. But then you're also saying you can run these games on the Xbox One. So that's both can't be true at the same time.
1: They, they, they can't. But I think that's, that's you've got to play to your strengths. And I think at the moment it's all about marketing, and they're both doing it. They're they're both playing to their strengths, talking about generations. Yeah. But you have to at some point both parties have to deliver and. We still haven't seen enough of both consoles, all the games, to really make a decision. on Is it as good as we think it's going to be? And early days of generation have never been the way to test the console ability or lifespan. It's never been. But it never hurts to have a good start. And I think that's why the first early months of both teams are important, because they need to make sure... That they make they hit the ground running, and you make a strong impact because you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And that's what console launches are—they're literally that in physical form. Here's my console. Here's the next five games you're going to play over the next three months, of the Christmas period. In fact, you're probably going to spend more time in this console this Christmas than next Christmas because it's brand
0: spanking new here. <laughs> yeah, it's new, and we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So,
1: and it's just—it's it, almost
0: disappointing that. We don't have, I, I, I,
1: you know, people might take this, this podcast and say that, like you say, I'm a fanboy, but I'm not. I, I could not want Microsoft to be more competitive in my mm-hmm. life. I, I love and thrive on competition. That's how it works. That's how my job works most of the time. So it's, it's the way it should be because that is what makes it better for consumers, all of us. And if we don't have competition, and we saw this with the PS3 era because of the PS2 era, you get mm. complacent. And that's never yes. a good look. And Xbox One with the Xbox 360. Complacency leads to this. And it's kind of ironic that Microsoft has done it again considering how bad Xbox One was compared to the PS4. But hey, yeah. hey-ho.
0: Well, and so let, let's touch on that for a second here. Um, let me see. So how do you see games graphics between these consoles the xbox series x and the playstation 5 progressing early gen mid gen and late gen because this is something that most people would be too nervous to talk about but i'm pretty sure they'll call us fanboys no matter what at this point so like how do you see the graphical performance between the two consoles being like in third-party games at launch
1: Third-party games, I, I I, really... In fact, the whole generation, I'm gonna, I don't think you're going to see a big difference most of the time. You will always mm. have edge cases. You will always have exceptions. I think early on, from the start, you might end up with a couple of games that have dynamic resolution on uh, PS5 where they don't have it on Series X, for example. That would be silly, in my right. opinion. You might as well have it in there just to keep performance, but it might happen. You might have a game where the slightly better quality ray tracing on the Xbox on Series X than there is on PS5. Mm-hmm. Maybe. You 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 could have a situation where you've got a game that literally has 120 FPS
0: mode on the Xbox One and it doesn't have it on PS5. That that mm-hmm. that could happen. I'm not saying it can't and it should I would and- find that unlikely personally. I'm guessing it would be on both, but it may be more consistent on the Xbox.
1: Well you can't ever I, I wouldn't even say it's consistent Microsoft are selling it as a bonus, whereas Sony are not
0: Oh right. So Sony doesn't may not even care if they have it. No, because
1: fundamentally it doesn't really matter whether or not you've got 120 fps mode unless of course you want to use it. Now, there might be a time where a game's making it and, and deals are made all the time. That's another misconception that people don't companies don't make games for exclusive content. They do. Both sides do it. Sony do it. They have exclusive mm. content, oh, yeah, limited yeah. content. So it wouldn't make a huge deal if, if Microsoft said to a couple of companies I'll pay you to stick 120 FPS mode in my game, please.
0: Even if it just has to run in 1080p, we want yeah. you to be say it has it so we can market it.
1: And, and do you know what? It might happen. It doesn't matter. It's all great. I think those, those if that happens, it'll be blown out of proportion, but it might. Ha- I'm not saying it will happen. I'm saying it might happen. Right. I wouldn't be blown away if that happened on a certain game. But on the flip side, I also wouldn't be surprised to see PS5 perform better on certain games. Mm-hmm. I think that the the technology in terms of how it's been designed, the infrastructure, and again, I bring it back to the APIs. There's more than that, but the APIs are a big, important part of it. Um, a, a, a 9% CPU difference could easily be hand-waved away by an API benefit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, a 15%, a 18% GPU deficit could easily, 20%, could easily be hand-waved away by an API benefit in terms of early-day development. That's
0: Right. See, and that's what I wonder, is I think it's a combination of, I mean, if you just look at the raw specs, I think it's obvious the Xbox, at least in linear games, should be able to run at at least 10% higher resolution. So Absolutely. Dynamic resolution, you'll see those digital foundry or your analysis where they go, oh, you know, it's running slightly higher resolution most of the time. I think that's obvious. But at the same time, it's like every developer I talk to says the dev kits for the PlayStation are easier to work with and that it takes less time to work on. So I could all, and, and the graphics cards just clocked faster. So it's like one of those situations where, like, I don't know if you remember back in GCN 1.0, there were some games where the 7870 ran better than the 7950 or the 670 ran better than the 680 from Kepler. And it's just because one of them was clocked faster. Right, And they were pretty close in graphical performance anyways. So I think you're going to see some third-party games. I think, at least for me at launch, I think overwhelming majority of games are going to be almost exactly the same. But you're going to see some games where there, if there's dynamic resolution, like you said, the Xbox has a slight advantage. Then you're also going to see some ports where the PlayStation just runs at a more consistent frame rate because it's clocked faster. And frankly, they ported a last-gen game. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's that's the key point. It all depends on the game that's being run. And I don't think you can ever get too carried away. I mean, when I do comparisons, I hardly ever get concerned about the hardware. It's irrelevant. It's about the software. So when I do head-to-head comparisons on two games, it's more about um, showing the audience, do you know what, if you've got a choice, this is the best version to run it on, and this is why. But it's mm-hmm. it's almost, almost certainly, more of a demonstration of development process behind it than it is the hardware itself there's obviously exceptions and i think the xbox one had some heavy limitations in terms of its um, eDRAM and its memory system in
0: terms of what the much PS4 more heavy had. than any other gen in my opinion yeah
1: and that, and that and that that forced developers to jump through hoops but i think the SDK didn't help them either and i think that's that's what we'll see again this early gen is we might have situations i mean you, as you remember last generation we launched we had some we had some games that were 720p on the Versus Xbox 1080p. One, I mean that's, that was just that.
0: Even I was like, "What the hell?" But that was. I crazy. think one was the Tomb Raider, right? I believe Tomb Raider remastered or something. Yeah, sixteen thirty. Like, I think it was. Yeah. I think it was ten eighty p with an unlocked uh, frame rate, even running close to fifty frames per second. The Xbox One was either seven twenty p or nine hundred p locked at thirty, and it's like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's because it was both. They had an inferior API, and then they also had a harder to program for a weaker architecture. I don't think that's the case this time as badly, but.
1: Well, no, and they've got, they've got generally on paper, they've got the, the more powerful machine. They've got, you know, for the, there's a lot more to a system than just see, GPU and CPU. But if you put the three main talking points that are easy to market, and that's what you need to remember, it's easy to market, you've got the most powerful GPU, the most powerful CPU, and the biggest bandwidth. So all those three things matter to the market, but it doesn't matter to the software developer. What matters to the developer is how easy can I make this game and how good can I run? And that's the thing. Developers don't care about console wars Well, most of them don't, but they're, yeah, not, try- don't. they're not trying to make a game to, to show off a piece of hardware. They're trying to make a game to look how good my software development is, or look how good our team is, or look how great my game is. And they want to make the best game on any piece of hardware. So if the hardware makes that easier, then... Do you know what? They might end up making the game slightly better on that piece of hardware because it's easy to do it. And that's just the reality of it. Like I said this before, if it, as Mark certainly said it on his video as well, if a rising tide raises all boats, it's a very true statement. Mm-hmm. And if you improve the single core speed of a, of a CPU, irrespective of whether you've got eight cores and 16 threads, if you improve that, if you double it and you double the, the IPC throughput of that CPU and you make it easier to access the memory subsystem and address things and you you enable them to just talk to the SSD via the API and they don't have to worry about managing it and it's all virtualized away from them, then do you know what? You're going to get a lot of games that utilize that quicker than if they have to jump through hoops to get there. And that's mm-hmm. the reality of software development. They don't want to spend time rewriting their entire engine to support your piece of hardware and that's what's wrong with the ps3
0: yeah well and so what do you see happening late generation between the consoles based on their specs and the graphics and all i mean because there are some very real i mean people keep saying oh they're basically the same but one is bigger numbers and it's like no just because they're mostly by amd they're actually quite a bit different from each other in how they work
1: i, I think the end of the generation will be interesting because i think that people underestimate what customization these companies do, and probably more so Sony in, in in both regions. I think Microsoft spent more time customizing the CPU portion of their SOC, and I think that's where they've spent their time because it's a big, it was a big bottleneck for them on the Xbox One, and I think they learned from that, and I think they've improved it massively because it's still a big part of game development. But when they... There's all this stuff about like RDNA 1, RDNA 2, and all that kind of <laughs> crap, which I know we spoke which, about.
0: Which they're both mostly based on RDNA 2. Actually, let me take a second to address that because um, I, as you know, I did a big video talking about RDNA 3-level customizations in the PlayStation 5, and I think think you see a lot of... No surprise. I I don't want to say fanboys because you could say that's an insult, but you see a lot of people rooting for Sony, using that video as a bludgeon to hype things up, and people aren't paying attention to... A lot of things I said... Like I said, it's not RDNA 3. It has customizations that will be implemented in RDNA 3. That's what I said. It's not all RDNA 3. And I never directly say one stronger. I just say, I think, based on what I'm told, the PS5 has a large, shall we just say, geometry advantage. Like drawing... Polygons. And if you saw the Unreal Engine 5 demo, it's like, well, that's definitely something they're hyping up because they know that's something they can probably do well. Um, Outside of that, though, what I would say is that I do want to specifically mention this, too. Um, A lot of people were talking about, uh, I saw Red Gaming Tech also just went public with similar information. And a lot of people were saying, oh, so Red Gaming Tech's your source. And uh, no, this is stuff I've been hearing for like five months, guys. And then another source told me, and then another source told me, me and Red Gaming Tech, and 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 I'm also saying this in case he's listening, because I want to make sure he knows this, share info to make sure we're not crazy. (laughs) So it's like, hey, so I've been hearing this for three months, and then I'll give some details. Is this also what you're hearing? And it's a gut check. like Because that's a pretty big thing to say that the PlayStation 5 has some customizations that might not be implemented on desktop until RDNA 3. That's huge. And so it's like it's not worth just double-checking that info. It's worth triple-checking that. But I do want to say that specifically, where gaming tech was not the final source, guys, um, nor the second. It's just someone we compare notes with. But anyways, I don't know. I mean, I guess, what do you think about all those rumors coming out about RDNA 3 and the PlayStation 5? And frankly, just all of the RDNA crap people are... Arguing about with both consoles. Well, I, I, I don't know. I think I think Mark certainly said it best
1: himself in the video. He, he said, you know, he specifically alluded to it, so he's, he's well aware. He's not. He's not naive. If you see a GPU market around the time of this console launch with technology in it, it means that our collaboration with AMD was successful, or something along those lines. Okay, so he's alluding to the fact that that's how collaboration works, because. In companies, AMD will be what Sony would call a strategic partner and, and vice oh, versa. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I know you'll know this, but the whole point is is they, they have a, a, a joint responsibility to deliver a product, but they also have joint interest in each other's technology. So Sony have to let AMD know things they want as a software company to make games. And AMD, by proxy, then say, oh, great, that's great information. That makes sense for the PC market and vice versa. So We saw this with the rapid pack math, which again is a marketing term for that. That wasn't in a GPU card before the Pro came out, and it was something ahead of the time. And this is the thing again about machine learning on the Xbox.
0: I know, and not to cut you off, but that's it. Just continues to blow my mind when people are like, you know, like how would that even be possible? It's like it it happened before with the PS4 Pro. This is new. No,
1: it happens all the time because. That's the point, and, and Microsoft have the same thing. AMD will absorb information from both teams. And mm-hmm. if they do their job properly, then they won't let either team know what each other's working on. And I'm sure they do. And that's, what, that's what AMD's role is. AMD's role is to make sure that whatever they develop for, for Microsoft stays with Microsoft and whatever they develop for Sony stays with Sony. Whether it does, whether it doesn't, that's a whole other conversation. But that's generally how these things work. And Sony are... Very astute in terms of what makes a good console, i.e., a IEA games machine. That's its point. Mm. And I think I think you mentioned this last time we spoke. about removing pieces of silicon from the APU and the chip. That's the point of development. You, you take a off if the shelf. If we shell, don't
0: need this component of RDNA... yeah, get rid know, of it. Yeah. it. yeah,
1: yeah. We don't we don't need that that kind of level of VRM if we're not going to need it. We don't need that level of of cash or bandwidth, or the exact opposite. We actually need mm-hmm. a bigger cache, and that's one of the optimizations that. Microsoft made on their CPU for the Xbox One X, and that's exactly yes. what I'm sure they are going to make for the Series X. So you've only got to look at the breakdown of what Mark's only said with the GPU um, scrubbers in terms of the I.O. co processors and how they're working mm. to tell you that they already know they need to increase the, they need to stop thrashing the cache all the time. And GPU thrash caching and VRS pressure is where they need to work on their development. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some heavy customizations on that side of the GPU. So if you take that into account and you take into account all of the geometry engine stuff which they've got in there, as well as the fact that it uses ray tracing, then they've developed a system that's going to last a long time. I don't think, and I'm sure people will either disagree or agree, they don't want to launch another Pro. The Pro was a, a move to stop people diverting to PC, and it was nothing more. They don't want that again. They've delivered a system that I think will last a generation because... It's smart. It's playing smart, not hard. It's not trying to be the most powerful. It's trying to be the most efficient. And the mm-hmm. geometry engine is the bit that's going to take people time. That's the par. I don't think we're going to see very early on. I don't think we're going to no. see jump. Ge-
0: I think that's I mean, the par. be in exclusives, but...
1: Exactly. I-, I think big teams, Naughty Dog, Guerrilla Games, um, maybe even Sucker Punch, maybe even some of the other teams within Microsoft Studios. I mean... Bluepoint Games, there's so many teams that could utilize that very well, so long as you can build your engine around it. But it all depends on where they were in their development pipeline because there's definitely some games that would have started life on the PS4 and moved to the PS5. So there's things that would have started in gestation that have moved over. So I think the geometry engine and the whole configuration around the IO structure and the SSD, that's what's going to make the system last generation because it's almost going to augment the lack of RAM in five years' time which is one of the limitations the machines have got now, ironically, which is kind of ironic when you think in 2013 it was, oh my God, eight gigabytes, that's unbelievable. But look at it now, it's kind of holding them back. So I think the PS5 will have a very good lifespan, and I think that Microsoft already have the intention of, of just keeping the crown and maybe releasing another machine in four or five years' time anyway. We'll have to see how Game Pass works out. The, the, the whole point is I think they want to get out of hardware and move into the software. Well, if you solutions. listen
0: to the current CEO, is it Nadia? Uh, I forgot, but he's basically said that in several meetings for years that he wants to turn Xbox more into a software ecosystem, which it's Microsoft. So you would think so. But um, so I guess I have, I think we're going to start winding down with a few reader mails. I don't know if we've gotten to everything, but we've been going for so long here and I can feel that we'll start getting tired soon. Julian Vito writes in and says, if Sony and Microsoft knew they could sell consoles for the price of a mid to high-end PC, what would that console look like? So he's saying if the target was $1,000, I guess, let's just say, what would that change?
1: I think it would pretty much put PC are, are, are below the console market. That's that's a given. I think they would they would go all out to make something that was absolutely brainstormingly powerful. And if you make something dedicated to just gaming, it would be incredible. But I don't think it'd ever happen because I just don't think it'd be profitable.
0: My answer that I actually wrote down for this was that well, I mean, let's what would they do? I mean, maybe they'll have twelve cores instead of eight. May, they'll probably have twice as much storage. I can guarantee you that. Uh, and maybe twice as much RAM, of course, a more powerful GPU. Maybe they go up to 64 compute units if they code or whatever. But fundamentally, I actually don't think the uplift would be as big as people think. I think they could probably more consistently do certainly some higher frame rates, but I think the types of games you can make on next gen versus last actually wouldn't be any different. It would just be a more consistent frame rate and resolution. I think it's the change in how they're doing things, moving to an SSD as the base, finally having a decent processor that makes all of the world of difference. I mean, look at, again, Xbox Series S should run the same games as that $1,000 hypothetical console we're talking about. And I think people forget that, like, so much of what makes PC more expensive is its extra capabilities and just the fact that it's a far, far more... It's not a niche market, but, you know, it's not... You're not selling the exact same model to everyone, so... It's not
1: subsidized. You've got multiple parties all taking a slice of your money, so... It's not delivered by one single person. And I think that in terms of the software, you're absolutely right. I, when, when the question was about the hardware, I think the hardware will be more more refined but more powerful. So there's many things they could do if they had a bigger budget to improve the process. So I'm sure the SSD would be very different. I'm sure the IO subsystem would be heavily offloaded in certain areas if they could. They'd probably have, well, definitely have a much bigger GPU, but there's other things they could do as well to improve that. But as you said, it wouldn't change much because... It, <laughs> You can't do a lot more over the PS5 if you had twice the amount of power. What's that going to change?
0: I mean, 5K now instead of 4K, probably. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's that's most likely. Or you go absolutely mad and go, do you know what? We're going to simulate both cloth and fluids and smoke in a game. <laughs> but will you even notice it? Yeah, but most people, yeah, exactly. Most people go, oh, it's great. I don't know why. but I mean, It looks great. I don't know what's going on. And that's the point. So, yeah, I think that's. It, it would be a waste and, and it wouldn't be profitable and it wouldn't happen. And I would hate it to happen, to be fair. I think one of the things that makes um, consoles appealing to me is I love value. I'm all about value. I rarely buy the top end GPU because I don't think it's never the best value. It's never the best value. But I like value and I think consoles deliver that. And plus, I like the fact that sometimes it's good to have a little box that that I hate the same, but punches above its weight sometimes. And that really allows developers to show what it can do. And that's what I like about consoles. Allowing developers to focus
0: on a particular piece of hardware just gets more out of it. And I like that. Big Lamb writes in, and he says, Will CPU performance become less relevant for a few years as more people start switching to higher resolutions? Or do you think CPU performance is going to matter more and more as time goes on? I think it will matter more than you think because... It won't. You'll still get thirty FPS
1: games on consoles. You'll still get. You, you, I mean, there's a mm. risk that you'll get a first party game from Sony that's 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 thirty FPS and 40 forty P. I don't think they're afraid to do that if they think it's mm-hmm. the right
0: thing to do. If they think it looks better,
1: yeah, yeah. And and if you do that, and you're using your CPU calculations to do a hell of a lot more with your world, it might be the best AI or, or path tracing or physics you've ever seen in a game. I'm, I'm hyper- hypothesizing here, but yeah, right. yeah. That, that that will put so much strain. But I think generally the PC market has still got enough leg room on the console to never be an issue, so long as you buy a modern CPU. I think you'd have to buy a modern Intel or a modern AMD. I'm going to say AMD because Intel are really doing bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And I guess a, a question to piggyback on that too is where do you see so i've talked to some people that have talked about sony looking into bringing more and more of their first party games after a few years to pc for example i've heard more guys like guys bloodborne's coming to pc just 100 percent confirmed at this point they're bringing they're porting it right now i have a question here asking about demon souls i don't know if that's coming but i know bloodborne's coming to pc everybody um but what I've heard is for PlayStation 5, it's going to be pretty hard for a while because the what they've done with tiered storage and the SSD, it really is fundamental. I've heard that they've run some super early tests on PS5 games and that it's like 32 gigabytes minimum on PC and you need like a Gen 4 SSD. And so they might even just wait for that to become more standard before they port those to PC. Do you expect that to be a similar thing as well or do you not see it being as much of an issue because there's a lot of reader mails here that I don't think we have time to get to every single one that are asking about gen 4 SSD's importance to games moving forward I, I don't think it's important now I think I think you're safe for a year I don't think you're going
1: to gonna need to rush out and buy any mm-hmm. now and I think I think what what everyone's Missing is is consoles will lower the price of SSDs because that's what happens and right generally that once consumption goes up and everyone's buying to sell consoles then value goes down so they charge you less so I think hold out again it's the worst time to buy an SSD because you're going to get much faster SSDs than what you've got in the consoles and you're going to need it and you're going to need it because you're going to be using a lot of your CPU to decrypt and unencrypt that data and transfer it and log it in, but you're also going to use it just to move that amount of bandwidth around. You, you don't... It's, a, it's not just about the fact you're moving to 4K, it's the fact you're moving to 4K, 8K textures. When you're using that kind of data and you're moving it around, that's a hell of a lot of effort on the CPU cores. And remember, both the Series X and the PS5 have, have that offloaded. They're aware of that. And mm-hmm, they've spent yeah. time putting that into a separate process. I know, I know, you, I know you know, but it's almost going to make an impact if they start pushing um, AAA third-party games that use that utilization. So I don't think you'd worry about buying an SSD yet, but this time next year, probably a good time to buy. And and that's when you're going to see games that utilize it and maybe require it.
0: Yeah, and that's what I keep saying is, I think people are, I think, you know, like my channel is really about just, I mean, at this point, I've had a lot of big leaks, and that's awesome. You know, I didn't think I'd ever become a channel this big (laughs) with that type of access, but, you know, we're there. But really, fundamentally, this channel of mine was started to talk about stuff coming in the future. And I think people forget when I'm talking about Zen 4 or RDNA 3. I'm talking about things in the future because I find them fascinating. I don't think they're things to worry about now like I see a lot of people saying oh so I need to get oh well the oh so the PS5 and Xbox have co-processors so I need a 3950 X and Gen 4 SSD RAID now and it's like no you you don't need any of that now what I think you need to do now is just enjoy your games and they're going to run fine but just accept that you're you are going to need to upgrade in about a year or two, but guess what? It's going to be like half the price or, or even maybe even less than half the price as what it is now, because the second you get games that require an SSD and all of this other stuff, there will be cheaper games. I mean, SSDs on the market and that's, that is when you upgrade. Please don't buy Threadripper and SSD Raid <laughs> now in preparation for the console because by the time those games are out, you could have gotten a Zen 4 CPU or something. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to worry about upgrading your PC
1: now. Take stock, let the consoles come out and see what comes from the games. And, and going back to your original question, which I think the guy asked
0: about... Archon 971 says, hopefully Demon Souls remake will come to PC.
1: Oh, okay. Sorry. Um... So yeah, I don't think so. Not now, no. But their their process of porting games to PC, currently Decima-powered games, um, is almost kind of telling of the games you're going to see as updates and potential remasters on the PS5. Because mm-hmm. why do the work once when you're going to have to do it anyway and it makes sense to get it out there and make a, a few extra bucks in terms of you know ROI? But it's also a great thing to expand the market because. It's it's competing against Microsoft, but Sony are not silly. They know what they need to do. And Microsoft are trying to, you know, rally around the Xbox brand by expanding it to PC. And I said this back in 2015. Um, that's mm-hmm. what they want to do. They want to expand the market and make you game yeah. on anything, of, of, you know, completely irrelevant of the hardware you're playing on. It doesn't matter. Just just buy their games, get Play Game Pass, whatever. That, that That's how it works. And I think Sony are aware of that. So releasing a game that's, that's been out two or three years and, Stick it on PC and make a few quid and sell it for fifty quid or forty quid. Do you know what? There's nothing wrong with that
0: because no, it's ex- common sense. You know, everyone who's going to buy Horizon bought it, man. <laughs>
1: exactly, and and if if you you are one of those people that somehow has an issue with somebody else playing a game you played on PC, why? Because you've played I it. Don't know. And and two, take stock in the fact that you can still buy it for less money on the PS4 store now. Then there you go. You, you know.
0: Well. You can't, I think there's some people are kind of drawing the wrong conclusion. The conclusion is when it makes sense, they'll move key games from PlayStation to PC. I mean, again, Horizon's coming to PC, I think five years after it came to PS4, maybe four years. That's a lot of waiting, guys. Like, I don't think this is some argument of no more exclusives. I just think when it makes sense, they'll do it almost as an ad for PlayStation and because they've completely saturated the market. So I guess that's the one thing I would add is, well, I expect this to happen more and more often. It's like it's. I think it's always going to be a fraction of their exclusives. It's it's a decision. I
1: mean, I'm, I'm always remember Sony have always done this when they started with the PlayStation One. A lot of the games they published appeared in other consoles. Destruction Derby, Psygnosis game, Sony owned, went on the Saturn. Wipeout was on the Saturn. Wipeout Two. So there's the well. Wipeout was on the. It was their first exclusive of Wipeout. Was on the N64. What does that tell you? Mm-hmm. So Sony have, have history in this. They know that they need they need to keep the till ringing. That's the point. So if you're not ruining your brand and you're only expanding it and you're not, <laughs> you're not you're not taking away from your marketplace, then it, it makes sense to do it. But like you say, I don't think I don't think they've got a big strategy that says we're going to release this game here in three years on PC. I think it's a case of that, you know what? that makes sense. Yep. Let's push it out there. And I think Horizon, um, Death Stranding, well, Death Stranding was always going to be PC. We knew that from day yeah. one. Um, but Horizon makes sense. It's the kind of game that will sell well and be enjoyed by PC gamers because it's a vast open world. It's absolutely gorgeous and it has loads of options to play in different ways and do different missions. And it's the kind of stuff that PC gamers love. They don't like linear, plot around, do nothing games. Generally, they like a lot of thought process, a lot more interactive, strategic games. And I think Horizon ticks that bill. I don't think something like Encharted... It's also the
0: right time to kind of release a big open-world game right now, if you think about it on PC, because what's its competition? You know, Cyberpunk's not out yet. Nothing. Like, The Witcher's kind of the last big open-world game. I guess I guess Red Dead Redemption too. but besides those games, it's kind of a niche they're filling as a futuristic kind of survival open-world game. But it also means that when the new Horizon
1: comes out, you might end up buying a PS5 to play it.
0: Exactly. And that's how they, and again, it's like, they're like, dude, everyone who was going to buy Horizons bought it on PlayStation. (laughs) Like, like, why are we waiting? Okay. So I guess one last question. um, And it's, I think it's kind of a funny one here. Um, When do you think pre-orders are going to open up for both consoles? Because I think it's mental how long it's taken for this to happen. It's crazy. I, I expect the
1: August show from Sony to be that, that announcement. I expect
0: that. W- when do you think it's going to be in August? Because, like, I mean, they kind of announced the last one out of nowhere. They're like, hey, guess what? In three days, the show's coming. I, I, honestly, I, I don't think they know their exact
1: date, but I think it'll be mid, mid-August, possibly. Around, around mid-August, I would, I would mm. suspect. Coming towards the end of summer is the right time when everyone starts to think about coming back indoors and sitting down on the couch and playing games. And I think that that'll work. And I think whatever they do here, they're going to, they're going to hit it big with some gameplay. I'm pretty sure of that A couple of games. And then pre-orders open now and the two systems, whatever prices they come out with the whole marketing of starting from that's, that's what I think and have
0: heard some discussions on. So, and same for, and when, when do you think, cause I believe Xbox is going to do another. Well, they've said they are, they're going to do another show in August, right? Yeah, and I think that'll be it. I think that they're both playing a game of who blinks first with
1: the pricing, and and that's really kind of a weird... Do you think Sony would open up
0: pre-orders without a price? <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't, I don't... Jesus Christ. I hope... I've heard some rumors of that. I think that'd be the funniest thing. It'd be like, oh my God, guys, just can you... All right. And this is what I, I've, been, I've been... I mean, it's been months now that I've said, look, at a certain point, if you're waiting this long to show your price, it means you think the competition's fierce. So just go to whatever the lowest price you are willing to go to is and do it now. And in fact, open the pre orders now because there might be a lot of people who pre order your console and now don't get the other one of yours <laughs> first. I just don't get it anymore. Like, I honestly don't under- This is, I mean, think about it. We're almost, we're like a few days from August. And we still don't know the price or exact release date of a console coming out in possibly three to four months. It's crazy. But I think that it's a good situation that
1: they are in with COVID-19. They can hide behind it. I don't mean that negatively. I mean, it's, it it does give them an argument to say, do you know what? Things are changing. We're not quite sure. We haven't done all all our due diligence yet, but They must know their price. Like I say, they'll have a margin they want to work within on both machines, whether or not they're still waiting to hear what the other person is doing or whether it's just a case of we all know what we're going to do and we're just going to make you sweat. I don't know. But there's definitely some cat and mouse going on. Absolutely.
0: All right, so I think that's that one. I don't know. Is there anything? I know it's later where you are in the UK. Is there anything else you want to discuss from all this? I think we hit most of the major points, but it seems to me like we could probably talk for four hours if we wanted to. (laughs) I think people would be sick of listening to my
1: dulcet tones, but yeah, there's not... I don't know. Is there any questions that we haven't answered? Because I, I think it's always good to have the audience get a chance to ask questions. Because that's probably the most poignant thing. Something I'll probably need to think about more with my audience and actually asking them to do this. Actually thinking about it.
0: Um. I mean, let me think here. I mean, the other. I, I think if I were to summarize, I think there's two things left that I might want to touch on. And the first one would be: Do you so far? There's no PlayStation 3 backwards compatibility. Do you, do you think it's more likely or less likely than 50% that eventually they provide an update where you can at least download PS3 games with backwards compatibility?
1: I would be surprised if there wasn't something already there. I think PS now is their big ticket to kind of tick your retro bone, but... I do think they'll offer an option, just like they do with PS4 games, where if you're on PS Now, you can download it and play it locally,
0: which means you'll have an emulator.
1: I don't, I don't think that's beyond the rounds of possibility. It's just whether or not they lock it into PS Now or not.
0: Wow. From my perspective, I think it is ridiculous <laughs> that they might not have backwards compatibility, because I think there was a legitimate and true argument that the PS4 could not emulate the PS3. Frankly, the PS3 CPU was arguably stronger than the PS4's, and it had an NVIDIA GPU instead of AMD. I get it. I get why it was hard to do backwards compatibility back then. But at this point, it can't be that hard. I mean, it's such a stronger device at this point that I find it absurd that they don't just put in the effort. And it was a lot of effort for Microsoft to put backwards compatibility on the Xbox. It wasn't there at launch. It was a lot of effort and you know testing But I think at a certain point, they just got to do it. Absolutely. I've kind of not seen Microsoft praises enough for their backwards
1: compatibility. And I think that's one of the things that's kept Microsoft really front and center in the minds of the audience, because it's such a great feature and it really works exceptionally well. And I don't, I don't suspect that Sony haven't done it, haven't got it in the forefront of their minds. And, And maybe even further than that, maybe even PS2 and PS1, maybe that's an option. We know that the emulators are there and they, they enhance them and there's, there's been painted stuff a while ago on, on how that would work in terms of increasing resolutions and all that and texture quality. But it's all whether or not there's a, any meaning in the PS3 backwards compatibility beyond having a service that delivers it. And that's, I think, where you've got to take your, your hat off in terms of wanting something and seeing it from a business perspective. And I think that's what Sony are looking at. And Microsoft did that to increase their brand. and It was great, but it wasn't, wasn't really a cash cow for Microsoft. BC was a was a great marketing strategy to increase the the value of their console. And it did a great it's job. To get some
0: mind share to win the hearts and minds a little more. And it, I think it worked. Yeah,
1: it did a great job. And I think it's great. I'm not, I'm not decrying it. In fact, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of it. I've praised it multiple times for many years. But does it make as much sense for Sony to do it? I don't think it does. And I think that's, that's, that's where I, I still see that if it comes, it will come in PS now. I could be wrong. I'm not going to say that mm. I'm right here. But... I see. That's where their view would be on it. Why? Why would I give away my portfolio for free for potentially maybe ten percent of my audience to be excited about it? it mm. It's it's a lot of IP to give away when you can just say, Do you know
0: what, go on PS and, now. And you know they want to remaster the continue to remaster PS three games probably and bring them in four K instead of it. But yeah, I don't know. I just think it's weird because you know there will just be some games stranded. To PS3, possibly for a decade straight. And it's I and I, I I at least, I guess what I would say is I hope Microsoft's competition in this regard forces Sony to reevaluate how much effort they should put into it, um, at the very least.
1: I'm sure it has. I mean, let's be honest, the PS4 backwards compatibility in the PS5 in the boost mode, that that I would say arguably has come because of what Microsoft has done. I don't think Sony would have spent as much effort on that if if they weren't forced to do it because Microsoft mm-hmm. are doing it. And I think that's, you've got to look at that. And, and I, I'm not ruling out backwards compatibility beyond the PS4, but it's just how or how often or whether they do it is, is it's not a priority. And and I'm sure in the dark recesses of Sony R&D Labs, somebody's been working on a PS3 emulator for a long time. In fact, I'm, I absolutely know mm-hmm. there is.
0: They have to be, because there's no way they're just going to use cell processors for PS Now forever.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> it, it's it's, It's there, it's working, it's whether or not they can fit it in the box, whether or not it makes strategic sense to do it, that's the thing.
0: Stefan Wheeler writes in, and he says, is there any chance mouse and keyboard support for PS5 will start to become more standard as alternative input for some developers? Um, For instance, like a PS4 cod, mouse, uh, and keyboard support. I'd like to see games like GTA 5 and RDR2 support this as I was brought up on PC and using a controller is hard for me. And and just to speak to this, I was playing Zombie Army 4 and I noticed in the menus on PlayStation it says mouse and keyboard. I was like, what? And I just plugged it in and it worked. It worked perfectly. And I'm like, god dang it. For me, I think this is one of those things where it's like every game on everything should support both mouse and keyboard and controllers. Like, I th- I find it absolutely ridiculous that they don't... Uh, obviously, some games just don't work. Like, you don't want to play Age of Empires with a controller. But I don't know. I mean, like, do you think that's going to become more standard next-gen? I, I think it all comes down to the market noise and whether or not it's worth it. you got to...
1: There's, there's two things. The API will absolutely expose it, so they can choose to use mouse and keyboard. I think I, think, I know
0: that Xbox You can. know the developers have it, too. You know, like, when they were building PS5 games, they had a way of making Drake walk around with a keyboard. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's there, but it's it's all about the R&D effort and, and playtesting and tweaking and development. You have to work, because, like, you know, PC gamers, and I'm, I'm exactly the same when I play on PC. I'm a massive advocate for you know, mouse acceleration does my nut because it can really ruin the feel of a game when you, you're used to moving it half an inch across the screen and then all of a sudden you go play a game where they've accelerated it or they've decreased it and it doesn't work as well. So you've got to add all that into your development structure. You've got to say, well, we've now got to play test on mouse and keyboard. We've now got to work out, does it feel right? we have to change the GUI? we have to worry about the, how the game works and what, are headshots now too easy and all that kind of stuff? So mm-hmm. that, I think it's not a Sony question. It's more of an individual developer question. Do they want the extra overhead? Of having to fact that in as part of their R&D process or at least their QA process when they're delivering the product because adding mouse and keyboard and supporting mouse and keyboard are two separate things and unfortunately in the day and age we live in you can say to people here you go I'm putting it out there you can use it if you want but we don't support it and yet 90% of the market will completely ignore that and go hell! it doesn't work like I wanted you're crap and it's like we did I it to be really nice so I think there's always you've always got to look at the commercial side of them doing it there's a lot of things don't happen not because they don't want to happen it's because there's too much red tape to get them out and and that that might be a problem for mouse and keyboard being you know fully swamp in the market but that's not to say that if microsoft makes a big push for it on the on the series X, yeah
0: and i think they might
1: and, and that's that's where sony will then go do you know what we're now advocating it let's put a little bit more effort into it let's make it easy for teams to work out a mouse and keyboard structure or a default profile and all that kind of stuff and then that becomes a process but at the moment it's generally not a big deal because it kind of undermines one of the big features of the ps5 which is the dual shop. DualSense Five, whatever it's called, no, DualSense. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's all, there's all those combined factors in terms of the, what the PS5 is. The PS5 or the PlayStation is about the experience, isn't it? So it's it's the VR headset, it's the controller, it's the the 3D audio, the Tempest engine. It's all those things combined. They're trying to differentiate themselves from anything else. And I think that's one of the mouse and keyboard would, would remove one of those elements of the whole PlayStation package. That's that's what I think. Anyway, I'm not saying I'm right.
0: Yeah, I guess that brings me to one last thing. I think we've gotten through the reader mails in an effective way. I I think the last thing is, is something I've said over and over that this is just the most obvious thing to do ever. And I don't get it is, do you think there will at least be some version of Windows, even if it's a lockdown, almost Windows RT or whatever version running on the Xbox? Because for me, I see it as such an easy marketing thing. Like it comes with Microsoft. It comes with Word. You can only download from the Windows store but this is an app almost you can boot into and use it almost like a desktop with a mouse and keyboard. You have to use our apps. We get a cut out of everything sold. But do you think there's a chance Microsoft's going to have that be one of their mic drop moments?
1: Uh, absolutely. And I'm surprised they haven't done it before. Whether they'll do it or not, I don't I know. know. It, but it's all about, do they want to steal their own lunch? Because that's what they'll be doing. They'll they literally mm-hmm. be saying, I'm no longer going to get these people to buy it on PC. They're going to buy it on the Xbox format. So therefore, does that make sense? Well, remember,
0: though, if you buy it on the Microsoft store and then you someday build a gaming PC, you have the game on PC as well. So you could argue, you know.
1: Exactly. And I think that that's the point. It's all about whether or not it makes sense to them or is there a market there for them to do it? Because even though you and I know it's not that massive amount of work to ship a wood package or Outlook or whatever, or Excel or um, even something like, I don't know, Visio or whatnot on there, then you could do it, but they have to spend time testing that, and that's, that's mm-hmm. resources and cost. And then that's always what their factors are. So it's, it's whether or not that makes sense to them. If demand's high enough, they are do it in a heartbeat, but is demand high enough? And I think that's... I'm still surprised that Microsoft, and I still think they'll do this at some point. I said it a few years ago, many, many years ago, in fact. I think Xbox is getting to the point of a brand where they could literally stop making Xbox consoles and let people like MSI mm-hmm. do them and just yeah. ship it. Ship a console that's configurable and upgradable. And that then brings us back to your point, which is then you just say, look, run whatever software you want on it. You can mm-hmm. run the Xbox operating software or you can just run Windows 10. It's all yours know,
0: and, and I think that'd be so cool too, actually, if that was a thing on PC. If there was, if Windows 10 just came with Xbox OS that you could boot into and it would just run your games without hopefully as many driver problems as running it in Windows 10 mode. And then you can just boot your PC like a console, which is I think a lot of people wish they could do that. And and if you think about it, it's almost bizarre that Steam has a Steam OS when big screen mode before Microsoft does on PC. It's like, what is going on, Microsoft? This is your ecosystem.
1: But they're just... Microsoft have too many irons in the oven, in the fire. They, they, they're constantly doing so many bits and bobs and things, and they never seem to pay enough attention to one thing to get it delivered. And I think you said it earlier about Game Pass. Game Pass is a great idea, but they're, just, they, they're almost one foot in, one foot out with it. And, and, and I think the Game Studio expansion is another point. They, they need to commit to something fully. And I think it would be good if they just said, you know what, we're going to do this, and we're going to give it three years. And we're going to see yeah. if it succeeds. And that's that's one of the problems with a company like Microsoft, and there's other companies like this as well. They they don't give Sony do it. In fact, they they don't give things enough time, or they they call them quickly when they're not they're not at the expected ROI that the company wanted. And I think that
0: like a mixer, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, my God, that was quick. Yeah, well, uh,
1: uh, wasn't that wasn't that all based on some PR disaster as well? But somebody got accused of, of of doing wrong in a party or something, didn't that or, it's mismanagement or bad management there or something something going on where somebody was accused of being a naughty boy?
0: Oh, I don't know. I mean, it seems like that's always connected to everything. <laughs> I know, days. and and that's what
1: I mean. It's just it, the, 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 it's a terrible situation when guilty people are guilty but you know the whole there's no smoke without fire sometimes there is and I think it can be quite quick to call it but yeah Mixer just went like that and Sony are very good at just going that game's not doing very well let's just turn the servers off I mean Drive Club Drive Club's the most famous one I played that game to death and now it's dead
0: yeah I guess that's what I'll say, though, is I think Xbox has all the building blocks they need for an overwhelmingly successful generation. It's just, and I've said this to a lot of my friends, every gen, it feels like, at least for part of the generation, they have their foot out of it, and they just need to jump head first, make the Series X powerful, give it Windows, give it mouse and keyboard support, make Game Pass a great deal, and then also just commit to making the Series X succeed. I don't know why you're obsessing about the one the generation that did worse than the previous one. You know, and I think that's just what we're seeing is that little bit of hesitation again and all of these mistakes. And it's like, well, for their August show, and, and that's the last thing I'll say too. My God, the the <laughs> they have set the stage for a we cannot fail in their August show. That's one thing I will say. And uh, if they just jump with both feet forward, I think we'll have a generation as competitive as the PlayStation 3 and 360.
1: They, they do, and, and I'll, I'll say this. They need to take a, a leaf out of Sony's book at this point, and that is stop talking and do more showing. And that's that's what Sony have done very, very well. They've been very quiet this generation so far, and they've not said much, but they've shown. They've they've do, let their games do the talking, and even their their entire presentation was, was well done at that extent. And Microsoft have more than enough clout, more than enough talent, and more than enough studios to deliver. And it's just a shame that I think generally some mismanagement or bad decisions in the marketing area are are affecting them from this start. So I'm hoping that August, they they dust themselves down, they they lick their wounds and go, do you know what? Let's really pull together. Let's spend the next four weeks. Let's get some great games shown. Let's not not swamp with a montage. I bloody hate montages anyway because you forget what the game was at the first game at the end of it you're thinking what was the first game again I can't remember what it was Mm -hmm. show three great games don't show Mm -hmm. ten ten glimpses of games because it doesn't mean anything and I think if they come forward with some strong gameplay of some of their new IPs that are coming I mean a Hellblade 2 reveal with a gameplay section and a cinematic would blow the roof off and I think that's what they'd need to do but whether they can do it, whether they're in that position to do it, I don't know. I think Ninja Theory are probably the strongest team they've got that can go, oh, up, against, yeah, they, they, they can go up against people like Naughty Dog and may, maybe not on the same level. I'm not saying that I was going to jump on and say, oh my God, Naughty Dog, I lost in the world. But, but they are a team that are able to deliver the kind of experiences and quality, and if they're given the budget and effort that Microsoft should give them, then mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, you know, I expect some good stuff from them, and I'm I'm, I'm hopeful that microsoft do that with the right team's fable i'm absolutely you know egging to see what they can do with that so there's a lot of good stuff from microsoft but they just need to let it be successful and commit to it that's that's the thing where they fall down
0: yeah i mean i i couldn't agree more if the thing that's always saved sony every generation is their hearts in it to win it even if they screw up the beginning and i think the second and I think Phil Spencer, his heart is in it, but I think Xbox itself needs to just jump, yeah, and and and, and then they'll and then they genuinely will be a true great competitor to Sony, which is. Really, the, what everyone should be hoping for.
1: Yeah, if if we lose Microsoft, then then it's not good because just having Sony oh, as amazing,
0: major- ready for Apple. That's what's going to happen. I bet. And I uh, I don't know if I need them or not in this space.
1: <laughs> God, no. Maybe Nintendo will go back into it. Who knows?
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's everything that we had to discuss. That was. As I expected, an exhaustive discussion about the strategy between these companies after you know that video, a couple of your videos, and soon the August reveal. So, um, yeah, you know what? How about you plug yourself one more time here for everyone who's listening? I'm sure 20% of people made it to the end of this. Yeah, well done if you did.
1: I, I wouldn't have done. No, thank you. Um, yeah, so I've got uh, my NX Gamer channel, so I basically cover games analysis, development, hardware, software, and basically comparisons in detail of things like input times, frame rates, console frame rates, PC comparisons, graphics, all that kind of good stuff. And generally, I think what I'm trying to do is not not be hung up in wars and more about what's good, what's bad, why do games look great. So hopefully, if you do like this or anything that I've talked about, then obviously check my channel out. Thanks very much, Tom.
0: Yeah, and you know you don't need to agree with us on everything we said, but... Like when the one reader mail requested, we're just giving you our honest opinion. <laughs> that's all we're doing and trying to bring, I think, hopefully more thoughtfulness and nuance to the discussion, uh, or, or at least as much as, I should not say more than others, I should just say as much as we can bring. So that's all we're promising is that we put a lot of thought into this now that you need to agree with us. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, in fact, that breeds discussion. So I'm a big
1: advocate for that. So yeah, any discussion is always good.
0: All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, I'm sure we'll speak again. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Have a nice evening. Cheers. Yeah, thank you. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Laws Dead. Moore's Laws Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me. And I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, PO Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon Die Shrink and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com but as i said this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans the following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yunt, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn Jim Bollocks, Joshua Albin, Muhammad Al-Khawari, Frederick Lau, James Crasta, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Bedlin, Phil S., Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, TSPCFS, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullan, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, V.I. Pass, Sether Sether, Isaiah Gosner, Alethros Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Soti, XOT, Actress Santana, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Robert Rubber Street of Full, Ellie Robertson, Eric Johnson, Jonathan, Job, Evan Dingle, Dominique Coke, Stefan, Original Ross, Wayne, Sam McArthur, Toto Silos, Sol Kallner, Michael Casa, Andrew S. Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justin Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Powers, Garrick Scholl, Alenia, Joshua Stavnis, Daniel Nishbal, Fredro. Franco Frederick Hardware Numbers, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain, 2049, Leighton Perry, Matt Carlos Faldez, Carnivore Ver, MacDo226, and X one And of course, thank you again to uh, NX Gamer and to Sahara for the music.